already had it dibs on. It is indeed time. It is indeed. It is time for a movie night, night extravaganza. The best movie on the internet, bar none. No exceptions. None, none at all. Uh, happy to be here. We're talking some Ghost World tonight. Uh, Jay Andrew, Ghost World. I feel like you were born for this, man. I, indeed, <laughs> I was. I mean, this is a comic book adaptation, and it's it's a great film. I, I feel like, although it. it, it for once, your name is perfect for this. You, yes, you don't even need to like think of clever, uh, clever or anything, right? Right. So that's no, it. no. But but the thing is, though, is I, I put this because I was a big fan of uh, Showtime's TV show Power, and the uh, main character in it is Ghost. So, uh, you know, kind of coincidental that that we're doing this tonight. Fantastic. Uh, of course, artist, illustrator, Ben Burgess, collaborator, uh, off-topic maker. Uh, Jay and Andrew World, it's always a, always a pleasure to see you. I, of course, am Conan, Conan Neutron, head of the WWC fan club, uh, as you can see right, right now. Deep Cut, by, by the way, deep, that's in the mail mail that Seymour has. Uh, I am host of Protonic Reversal, and I have a, have a little called Conan Neutron, the Secret Secret Friends, doing all kinds of stuff we'll talk about later. And uh, yeah, this is a formative movie uh, that I obviously love because I suggested it. And I can't wait to get into it with the panel because it's going to be awesome, including Christina, Christina, um, Christina on uh, Twitch. Well, Hello. good to see you. How, how are you? I'm good. I'm tired, but I'm good. Tired, but it's fine. They upped my trousers down to 150. Woohoo! All right. And there you go. That, 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 is, that is the news. The news. Yes, that, uh, that is the medicine update uh, for, for tonight's show. <laughs> I. Didn't honestly did not respond to that. I'm, I'm doing my best. Uh, <laughs> Renee, run! Welcome back uh, to the to the show. It's been it's yes. been far too long. Uh, yes. Just, just real real quick. Uh, uh, should you be voting right now? What's that? Should you be voting right now? Because that's why. You no, no voting. Okay, right. <laughs> no. Yeah. Deep cut. I went to bed. I went to bed early in preparation. I there was no exciting activities last night, so I would be here. You got to remember, it's ten a.m. on a Saturday morning, so yeah, you, you don't you have to be going going full and full. Of course, Renee Ruin, Night Shift. You you just did a new episode, I think, last week, right? If I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah, oh, on men. Yeah, correct. Uh, 
part of the ex extended movie extravaganza universe, of course. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, smells, smells, smells like a girl. So many things. All the things done by Brene Ruin. And we appreciate you so much. It's great, great to have back. Uh, any ghost world thoughts before we kind of get into it? Hmm. Uh, you know, uh, if, if you're not familiar with the comic book, um, I, I just want to, you know, bring that up first because it's kind of interesting looking at this as an adaptation because the comic was just a bunch of vignettes telling the story of two friends relationship falling apart. Um, right, right. and it's, it's, uh, if you've not read it, check it out. The artwork's fantastic. Um, and, and uh, if you really want to uh, dig into the artwork, I highly recommend the, um, artist edition where they, they, uh, get really high res, um, uh, reprints of the original artwork, including showing you how like they do certain overlays to create the uh, the color effect because it was like uh, two two colors and uh, various printings. They actually experimented with uh, different colors on the the page. So um, it's actually kind of interesting to actually buy multiple copies. Like you know, oh, I already have uh, um, uh, you know this eight ball, whatever. Buy another uh, print. Oh, but this is a third edition. Well, let's see what they did differently in this or whatever. Um, or, or the different graphic novels. You'll you'll see like um various like attempts at like uh adjusting the color so so it's absolutely fascinating to kind of go through all of that uh and, and you can see some of that ephemera um i know cartoonist kayfabe did a great job looking at some of that and comparing like the uh well the the master edition to the the reprinted graphic novels uh so so if uh, any of that sounds interesting to you there, there is stuff online that i highly recommend that you check out to, to you know see the artwork but then the story itself like i said is is about just two women and uh you know graduated from high school well becoming women really and and just their relationship drifting apart and uh the movie i think is a, a very interesting job of trying to instead of doing little vignettes trying to tell a more cohesive story yeah so there's your comic comic book minute with the world I, I, I don't disagree with any of that, but but I think it's what I what I like about the film personally is that it transcends any Klaus, uh knowledge or uh, indie indie comic fandom, and is just an interesting uh, coming age film. Uh, hey, why don't you start us off? When did, where what was your first uh, exposure to this world? Was that to me? Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the stutter. The stutter's getting kind of bad. Um it's um yeah, the first time that I came across it was when I actually was in a um in a big book comic store in um the city he called um I think it was Metropolis at the time. And um it was a place where everybody went. Um just because they had cool everything, figurines, like every TV show film and whatnot. Um and more than anything, I just fell in love with the character of Enid and uh, like her style and stuff was how I dressed at the time. And, you know, it, I kind of just related to her. And then, um, yeah, that was my first thing. And then obviously reading into it and just seeing, seeing a comic book that was really alternative and focused on girls um, was something I hadn't seen most, most of the comics around at that time were things related to people with powers super you know and all sorts of different things but obviously um there wasn't many that of this kind of realm that were kind of just life um so yeah you know I was more into like a um you know lots of like 
Lenore and, um, you know, John Your Homicidal Maniac and that's the kind of stuff that I would I would watch, um, sorry, watch, read. And, um, yeah, so this was something that was a little bit um, different and just appealed to me because I felt like it was um, kind of like me and my friends. Um, yeah, so then when uh, the film came out, I was super interested to see how they were going to pull it all together um, and do something a little different uh, with it. So, um, yeah, I just, and the aesthetics in this film are just, hello, Conan times two. <laughs> um, yeah, the aesthetics in this film and even in the comics are just so, they just appealed to me so much. So that was something that I just immediately related to. Um, yeah, and I just, and I also really, on a personal level, related with um, the relationship between female friends falling apart. Um, it's something that I think almost all, I mean, I'm sure men, same scenario, but like female, um, you know, and teenage girls are horrible. And, um, you know, it's not, it's, um, I think I did do an article uh, a few years ago that went viral about how female friendships are actually um, more like more traumatizing and damaging than a normal relationship breakup. So, and um, you know, and how they can around right now. How... <laughs> around. Um, yeah, and how that how that can uh, like how that affects you growing up as well. You know, your sort of girls sort of go towards one friend, and then when you break up with that friend, it really is like a breakup, like a relationship breakup, and it's kind of worse it's just like your it feels like your world is ending if you if you especially if you're like an alternative person and you know you've got your one kind of weird person that you you mesh with um and I've, I'd probably say I've had like three three of those in my lifetime that have, were terribly heartbreaking and like so I can really relate to that and especially that that transition period between finishing high school and deciding what to do after that um because yeah everyone that's you know I think for ev everyone can relate to the that you know everyone's friends just fall apart generally once you get to the I mean I, I ditched mine couldn't ditch them fast enough <laughs> like you know it was like I'm out of here like I'm not staying in this small town I'm moving did you, did you find to see Michemi and like you know hang out with him instead is that oh is that hell yeah <laughs> yeah I'd rather hang out with Steve Buscemi. Buscemi. Steve, and Steve Buscemi obviously was and the, one of the things that I really loved about this film, like I just love him. So I have very mixed feelings um, about the parts with him in it in this film because I, it makes me so sad how mean they are to him. But then there's also some really sweet, tender things in there as well. But um, the it's just everything about it in terms of visuals and the way that they were able to turn something that was just about life and friends and that really hard relationship between people growing up and growing apart was really well done. Sina, how about you? How about you? Well, I remember seeing this film like in like in middle school, I believe. Yeah, because I, I I loved Thora Birch growing up. I mean, from Hocus Pocus oh. to, you know. Who doesn't love it? I know. Uh, every guy, every yes, guy yes. I knew had a massive crush on her in this film. Yeah. Backed fully. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And I, I, I related to the story because I had a friend that I knew since sixth grade who up and just decided to not hang out with us like alternative, like anime loving weirdos and decided to start hanging out with pe- with the alternative party people who like doing, you know, drugs and drinking and shit like that. And then her attitude about me and changed. collecting records. And... <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with collecting records. But uh, but we're but we're 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 friends now. Like we kind of went through a period of drifting apart, but then we you know kind of ended up being in some of the same classes later on in high school. So we kind of reconnected, and now she works for for the Democratic Party in 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 Columbia, South Carolina. So I'm like, <laughs> that's the uh, that's the alternative party uh, party, isn't it? Like that's, <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a. There's a goth party kid, like, a, I don't know, like an indie rock party kid to Democratic Party Pipeline, for sure. Like, 100%. <laughs> yeah. So, so, for my for myself, I saw it at the Parkway, and I was vaguely familiar with Dan Klaus, but, but big fan of indie comics, and big fan of Thor Burst as well. Uh, just echo that earlier point. Right. Yeah, and also too, Scarlett Johansson. Like I was, I like this thing. I was the Thor Birch, and like my one friend was like the Scarlett Johansson character. Obviously, like I'm like one hundred percent. That's exactly where I'm coming from. Yeah, it's like they want to be normal. They're like, I want to be a normie now, and you're like, I don't want you anymore because I don't want to be a normie. Sorry, bye. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's interesting that I think. In a lot of these movies, like the female friends, because uh, like there, there are a bunch of like female friend movies and they do drift apart in a lot of these teen movies, but like they always kind of drift apart towards other people their age, like another clique of high school kids. And what's kind of fascinating yeah. about this movie is it's not drifting apart to another clique of high school kids. It's drifting apart to like hang out with, uh, I don't even know how to describe, I mean, like the grown up version of herself almost, like, uh, you know, but like the, the guy version, obviously, like who's just so uncool that he's kind of yeah. cool. He definitely is in this, but like, it's funny that it's, it's interesting that this movie is not one of those movies that kind of echoes uh, the other ones where it's like, oh, well, you know, like Lady Bird we talked about last week. That's uh, like, you know, she, she ends up hanging out with like the rich, uh, the rich girl, like Jules or whatever. And, um, you know, and, her, and those friends and like abandons her, uh, like her close friend. And in this movie, it's not that in this movie, she's not leaving that for like a click of other kids her age. She's going and hanging out with. 50-year-olds. Mm. <laughs> but I almost feel like that's like um, there just isn't those weirdos in her town. And she's just gravitating towards people who she can relate to and it just happens to be a 50-year-old man. Yeah. If her best friend yeah. is like quite, her best friend's quite normal, like, you know. So when you're in high school, you often get forced to make friends with people that, just kind of are like you but they're not like you you know what I mean because you have a small pool of people to choose from particularly in small cities or towns so you know, yeah I would say she's definitely and you always have that yeah and you always have that um hero that's like someone you've seen or whatever in this in your town that's older whether they're, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, like that, that are cool and you think they're so, you know, they're totally cool, like rad people and you want to get to know them because that's what you want to be like when you're older kind of thing or they get you. 
So, you know, I definitely get that. We used to hang out with people who were like 25 because we thought they were amazing. You know, no, I, I was yeah. the same way in uh, uh, junior high. There was a guy who was 21, had the, a mullet and a mustache and drove a T-bird <laughs> to middle school. And because uh, uh, he just couldn't get past, uh, you know, eighth grade there. Gave him a lot of trouble. Yeah. But he hung in there and uh, they, they um, uh, the school actually gave him like a, a graduation before, you know, like like we didn't have ceremonies in Texas, but they, they, they gave him yeah. like, you know, yeah, you passed you passed uh, junior high um, before, you know, he, he aged out of school because he was too old. <laughs> um, oh, I remember sitting there at lunch with him thinking I was the coolest guy because I got to hang with the coolest guy in middle school. Yeah. And well, I don't know. I had a similar experience, but not like with people in school. Like I would go to town and I didn't really fit in with people. I came into the high school that I was in, like from a middle school that was really small. It was like a private school. I don't function well in like big school systems or whatever, or at least in, right. in, in school, I didn't like high school or whatever in college I actually did. But um, yeah, so I went and people didn't really take anything that I said like seriously. And like they thought I was dorky or whatever and weren't really into hanging out with me. So I ended up hanging out with like grown, like grown townies <laughs> that were like uh you know like 25 30 years old when i was like 15 and you know ended up getting into trouble that way but like i so i relate to that like i relate to finding people that are like oh no like when you actually are an adult and like you actually go into different places like your quirks or whatever like people accept them more than in high school and maybe it's not even worth like trying to make friends with people in high school why not just go you know find a bunch of <laughs> old dudes that are like throwing fucking beer can't like beer bottles and stuff and <laughs> in parking lots <laughs> yeah, as that gutter punk told me once you know the best people to party with is the bum behind the grocery store yeah <laughs> and so my, my my town at the time not so much anymore had um a large clique of uh guys behind the grocery store type guys but we would all hang out in the middle like there was like the main there's like the main strip and at the time it was owned by like uh you know one of the people that hung out with all those people um this coffee shop so we'd all sit on the stoop outside and like you know like pour like pour loco or something into like a styrofoam cup and like be sipping that in the middle of town and cops would be going by and then the cop would like go and be like how's it going guys and then he'd turn around and it'd be like these gutter punks like flipping off the cop and then like i don't know it was just it was it was a mess and it wasn't i don't think a situation that i should have been um hanging out with like in when i was like 14 or 15 but like it is a, a gravitational thing where it's like at some point, you're just so weird coming into a new situation or, you know, you just don't fit in in that situation that you're like, well, there's people that aren't in high school. Like, maybe I should just try to make friends with those people. Uh, well, I mean, there's a certain amount of almost bullying, too, that makes you feel better. Better. Like, I came from a shitty small town, you know, and, like, there was – we weren't always kind to other weirdos. And, and you know, especially when they're, quote, unquote, old. So, you know, there, there, there's something to that. It's, it's, it's honest, even if it isn't nice, you know, and it's, yeah, uh, it's 100%. It's not always nice. Life isn't always nice. And like people, you know, and you got the thing that I always keep reminding myself is these, these girls are 17. They're very immature. (laughs) And like, so, you know, the idea that they, you know, that they think it's really funny to, to just play this trick on Seymour it's just cruel, but like funny if you're 17 and you're with your mates, you know what I mean? But then from, you know, when I look at it now after like having watched it many times, now I'm always like heartbroken when it gets to this, those scenes because you can really see the pain that he's going through and that he's so excited that some 
gorgeous, really cool girl is like fascinated by him. Yeah, don't be yeah. mean to him. Be nice to him. Come on. I'm like, it's also a, a time before catfishing like became a term that people use yeah. a lot. Like, you know, you could put your uh, personal ad in the newspaper and then, you know, it's not like people are like, yo, you probably shouldn't do that because it's going to be someone fucking with yeah. you that like try to lead yeah, you into yeah. that. You know what I mean? So it's a time before that, that term. There wasn't yeah. Craig, like it's like a misconnection for misconnections, right? It's like, yeah, nice. from what I understand, a lot, there are a lot of papers or whatever that still have those things that are like, I saw you on Daddy Dar and whatever. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> think that people are actually going to see it and reply, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, people he, he, be he like posting their faces on stuff or people be using people's like faces for ads and stuff like that we see now tiktok where a lot of brands are using other people's brands to promote their product and like overpricing their product but using like a cheap alternative for like the actual ad itself i'm like well that's kind of fucked up yeah. hey guys i should say super chats mm -hmm. are on and if you have questions for anybody for renee for any of us uh fine <laughs> panelists here don't be afraid to send a super chat um we are, you know, we are, we are, we are a little bit broke here, and you know, uh, having a podcast costs money. And uh, I'd love, I'd love to have, you know, my collaborators and not just me, uh, you know, raking a little bit of money from this. So super chats are on. You can ask us anything. You can give us a misconnection thing. We will uh, plug your misconnection. Um, we will adopt your baby if if you have a baby and you want us to, <laughs> to just send the money for the baby every month. We will adopt your baby. We have all kinds of things going on here. Super chats. You know, let's do it. We have super stickers. I think there's we just all of the monetization stuff is on. Super so. baby adoptions. Oh, have you become members now? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think I turned that on. Oh, you but should make live chat like emojis of us. <laughs> <laughs> Look okay, yeah. I got Twitch already. I can't. <laughs> I wanted to do the thing that like uh, that they did in fucking um, book smart, where she's like, "But I'm I'm my desk is too close down to me for me to be able to pretend that I'm on like an escalator or something." Oh, like, <laughs> like yeah. does he also power like this? <laughs> no, not like that. Unless your elevator, <laughs> unless your elevator got stuck. That looks like a drop. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm stuck. Thank you. Okay. Oh, yeah, there you go. Good job. <laughs> Good job. But yeah. I have, and um, and I really hope this doesn't get us uh, unmonetized. I had to clip it out. But I have Scarlett Johansson as a 17-year-old um, talking about this movie and her experience, uh, you know, filming this. And um, if there's anyone here who has to go switch rooms, um, you know, this is a two-minute a two two clip. <laughs> a two-minute two clip. Uh, now, would, now would be a good time to, to do that. But you know, I, I don't know anyone like that. I'm just saying, like, if oh, so young, fresh-faced. Yeah. What am I like in high school? Well, um, I'm an average student. Um, B's and C's. <laughs> I have friends that are really close, and and uh, try to keep that a sacred thing much like Rebecca and Ina do in the film. Like, she's a pretty intelligent girl. Been sort of quiet her whole life. She's her own person. I don't know, I think there's a little bit of Enid and Rebecca in everyone. <laughs> she's um, quite the character. She's always been sort of not your average girl. She's a bit crazy. She's very like scattered, you know, one minute she's off doing one thing and the next like, boom, she's 
completely on a whole another track, you know, and I, I don't think she really kind of knows what she wants. We have to get together this summer. Yeah. <laughs> That'll definitely happen. I mean, um, Enid is uh, really out there, but also very insecure. And I think both characters are quite insecure. And uh, that's why they find such a bond within each other. So which one I'm more like, I can't really say. I don't know if I relate to either of them. <laughs> I totally, totally hate you. The director like ordered us today out. He's like, "Yeah, you and Scarlett should really, you know, get together." <laughs> so we're like, "Okay." But she's pretty mature, you know. She's from New York, which means she's an adult at the age of three. So me and Steve Buscemi argue all the time that uh, that nobody's ever going to work after this film, <laughs> of course, which is not true. I think Ghost World is when you're like walking down the street or something or you're on a train or whatever you just think like wow this is such a it's so surreal it's such a strange world that we're living in today i think it's like when you have moments like that where you kind of look around and you think like wow this seems not unreal i think that's really what the ghost world is but who knows well i'm still in high school I'm going into my senior year. I enjoy school when I'm learning things about things that I'm interested in, which is kind of rare, I think, in high school. You know, you get out of high school and you're just like, wow. And that's wow. the first thing I said when I graduated from high school is, wow. <laughs> yeah, I just got to say, sorry, but Thora Birch blows her out of the water. That When she's talking, holy hell, she's stunning. Thora Birch was such a wallflower until she like got older and like developed and like just became the ScarJo we know now. But my God, Thora Birch, whoo! Yeah, I, I would have been in love with her if I was a, when I was younger. If I like, if I was like, still there, I'd want to be her best friend. Yeah, like she like she ScarJo hasn't was very average, like. But it's always goes to show that you know some people don't peak. And we all know that a lot of people who peak very, 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 very young end up looking not so attractive when they actually should be peaking, which is, which is weird because, like, the two the, the, the two girls, it's like, you know, one's the, the pretty friend and the other's the not-so-pretty friend. friend. And we, we all know, know that ScarJo. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. They're both pretty. That's that's the important yeah. thing is they're both pretty. <laughs> yeah. They're pretty in different ways. Never, 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 don't ever mock people with technical problems. That's that's my that's my rule. But no, it's horrible. Well, no, um, it's good now. I can leave now. I mean, that I can just leave. That's fine. No, I wasn't mocking. <laughs> I wasn't mocking you for having tech problems. I was mocking the fact that all of a sudden we all echoed. We were all echoed. Yeah, that was the echo. I can in a different universe. And then um, we just we just watched a clip where she was like, "What is the ghost world?" So I said, "Is this the ghost world?" Because of the clip that we just watched. Yes. Thank you for the explanation. Yeah. So I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's important to note that they're two different kinds of misanthropes. Right. And one of them is more like socially acceptable. 
The other one's banned from this podcast, and we don't talk about him anymore. <laughs> then why'd you bring him up? Come on. Come on. <laughs> Move on. Move on. So so why are we all with uh, nothing but Thora Birches in this uh, panel? And, and, uh, we, we are a bunch of Thora Birches. Did, 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 mm. I mean, did we have a Scar Joe in our lives growing up? I mean, I felt like I was originally Thora Birch, but then I grew up to become Scarlett Johansson, which I'm not mad about, to be honest. I'm now the hot friend. Mm. I'm embracing it. Okay. <laughs> I think I've been I've been an Enid my whole life, and I like to surround myself with Enids. But I have a few Scar Joe friends round about. But so my preference, I like the, the I, I like the weirdos. The character I related to in this movie was Seymour, and literally, I fucking loved Seymour. And I'm like, surprised you didn't change your name to suddenly Seymour Forrest. I would have been good. I didn't think of it. But, uh, but it's also um, on on the topic of Seymour. It's important to note um, that Seymour doesn't exist in the comic, and he's actually a character that was created for the film. That's the composite um, of two characters from the comic. So a uh, Bob Skeets, and um, I think it's um, what is it Be- Bearded Windbreaker. So yes, th- that they were both the inspiration for Seymour for this film. So when David um, Daniel, sorry, Klaus, um, worked worked with Terry Zigoff on this film, um, they came up with that idea of having adding the whole Seymour storyline and Seymour the character, and um, it was like a painstaking um, experience apparently um, that took five years for them to create this film. And uh, Terry struggled quite a bit. But one of the other things is, which also has been mentioned, is that um, I think Daniel Klaus even mentions it, that Seymour is very similar to Terry Zigoff and it has a lot of the same mannerisms. He's very similar looking um, and got the, like, quirkiness to him. So some of, some of himself was put into that character as well. Man, quite a lot of men look like Steve Buscemi. You got you got Bill Skarsgård, who could probably play this character in twenty years if they ever did a remake, which would be a bad idea. But like, it's like, oh wow! So it's he like, definitely you know, be a it if he was. Yeah, he based it off of him. You know, he based this character Seymour off of himself. So it's like, oh, there's a physical likeness there. There's also the same mannerisms there. I'm like, how many goddamn men in this world look like the beautiful Steve Buscemi? <laughs> well, it's a like, unique looking dude. He's sure. very unique looking, and and Terry Zigoff is also very unique looking. And um, was it Crumb that was his movie before this? Is, is that correct? Like and he, him yeah. and Crumb had a lot of disagreements when making that film because they're both incredibly difficult personalities. Uh-huh. And so, uh-huh. Just like this fucking show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, but he obviously had um not you two you two are fine i'm talking about up here we uh yeah. we handled them all internally um we have yeah, yeah. we like to have it on air apparently yeah it's good <laughs> real good it's good it's real yeah i want to um say one of my favorite bits which is just so minor but so great is i freaking love the mullet guy Mullet he guy. has me he has me in the tears every time it's a scene with him well, I'm so him. all right. So since you I wish that he up, had a tiny little bit more like mini cameos because I he wish he had a spin-off series. Are you kidding me? Like, yeah, yes, I'm not seeing this. Anybody no, 
deserves saying. one. It's like like we need like the Disney Plus expanded yeah. universe uh mullet guy series. Prestige <laughs> TV nunchuck dude. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's just amazing. And he's just always standing out the front. And I mean so politically correct, incorrect, sorry. And just just everything about him is sensational. I was just I like, wonder so for me. When I, when I saw it, I grew up in this town called Modesto. It's in the Central Valley of California. It's, it's, the un, it's like the Midwest of, of California. And I mean that as an insult, meaning it's more like Kansas or Iowa than uh, San Francisco or Los Angeles, right? But there were dudes like that that just loitered as like their primary vocation, but like had like things that they would, they would like practice skills to be like, yeah, but I'm really good at the nunchucks. I'm like, well, what? How was that useful for you as a vocation of just being at large at this convenience store? Uh, but and they gen and they 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 were the only people that were in like when you see the like no shirt no shoes no service like who's that for and it's like no it's for that guy that's for everyone in australia too (laughs) we have that at the front of nearly every every pub restaurant no shoots no shirt my my freedom's being impugned it's like no it it really is (laughs) you you know the funny thing is that there actually is like this whole community of people who are mad about this and want to like go into places with no shirt and like they're so boring (laughs) <laughs> well, also, like they're the people you usually don't want. Is at least this guy's got a good physique. They're the people. Oh you yeah, want we were talking anyway. about it last night. I was. He's actually ripped. He's pretty so good. Yeah. More <laughs> to you. You know what I mean? So uh, with his mullet and short shorts, you know, practicing tricks in the parking lot. He's like, the guy that played. And I, and I wasn't sure about you know. this until right now. A, a year before this, he was the guy that played uh, Officer Doofy in Scary Movie. The retarded. Uh, I mean, mentally challenged, like. Uh, you know, character in that that was oh yeah, correct. But yeah, so that's the same actor. And I was like, where do I know that guy from? And then yeah, he's got a face. Like, I feel like he played someone who was like mentally challenged. And and then yeah, it hit me just now looking at like he's he's in he's like the main character, one of the main characters of scary movie. <laughs> My favorite part at the end of that film was when he like removed his mustache and like just went off with uh, Cherry O'Terry or whatever her name was. I'm like yeah. <laughs> and it's him that was the fucking killer the whole time. You know, the funny thing is, I was in uh, uh, New Orleans and uh, I, I actually saw the proto uh, nunchuck guy because uh, I'm sitting there at a, uh, a trolley stop and this kid pulls out a pair of nunchucks and his dad goes, Hey, stand over there so you don't hit anybody. <laughs> well, I. So yeah, so my point is that there is a lot of nunchuck guys, but they're usually not as cool mm-hmm. as nunchuck. No, this is his professional headshot. <laughs> Fantastic, I love it. Uh, but it, it it is absolutely lovely that this movie shows him and shows that there's clearly a relationship between him and the store owner that goes back that is not well, ever in the yeah. film. Yes, but Brian. A- uh, what is it, Br- Brian? My God, maybe I'll get through a. Sentence. Oh, I forgot the actor's uh, last name. I apologize. I Brian George, that's his name. I love him uh, and everything he's ever done, but uh, he he never gets good roles. <laughs> but <laughs> what, so what? All right, this is his, so, this is his less professional headshot uh, <laughs> 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 because right. he looks like David Arquette. So what I like so much about this movie is the the rich yeah, character. I'm looking at his roles and they're pretty shocking. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry for adding to that. All right, finish finish your sentence, Colin. So what I like about this film is that there's a lot of rich characterization that 
it shows you part of it. Like you get like the tip of the iceberg, but it all makes a tapestry of their world that they live in. It's very mundane, but has like all of these interpersonal relationships and everything. And it's done so in a way that you get the shorthand of it immediately. Like one of my favorite scenes is the, is the blues bar. And one of the reasons why is uh, you know, they, they go to see the, uh, they go to see the the storied old blues man, right? And then blues like, really oh yeah, if you like blues, you're gonna love Blues Hammer. And then Blues Hammer plays, and it is the worst. <laughs> they are so fucking bad. It's it's the worst thing you've ever heard. And here's here's something that y'all may not be aware of. Maybe Renee is, but Blues Hammer became shorthand amongst band people for a certain type of band, which is like the cheese dick, like Tuesday, like local fucking rock band, where uh, it's gonna be some blues hammer shit. Because clearly they're like beloved there by all the cheese dick people that are there to, to see them. But like the iconic blues hammer scene is iconic in a way that is, it's like it's sort of playing for the cheap sheets a little bit, you know, like it, and it's, I love that so much because it's just, all it is there to show is to show that that woman has, taste that is incompatible with Seymour. That's that's what yeah. that's what they're there for. But it's perfect because that has never been put on film before. Mm. And even like like and in like go back to our excellent two-part roadhouse episode, uh, which was oh, fantastic. Yeah. But even like the blind fellow playing the blues, like that's fine. That's like not my thing but respectable. But and he's a real there, dude. But and, and he's a real dude and a real musician. But yeah, there are so many blues hammers in the world that aren't just like playing the blues, but a blues <laughs> hammer style band. And to see the like disgust on Seymour's face, like just like oh, like I've sensed my natural enemy. It's so <laughs> perfect because it tells you everything you need to know about those characters in like the space of like four seconds, which is Three seconds too much for that band, let me tell you. We have a local, like, I have friends that have a local band that they do call them, and I fucking love it, but I feel like if I explain it to anyone that wasn't uh, in New Paltz, they'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? They're, it's yeah, called uh, it's called Trailer Swift. They dress up as, oh like, redneck, like, like over-the-top rednecks. And yeah, uh, play. No, I got it immediately. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, why do these? There's there's so many bands like that. It makes me ill. There's so, so friend, many. Just, oh. A friend of mine who's actually playing in the Dwarves right now uh, is another band called the Spice Pistols. <laughs> <laughs> and if you think you know what that is, you are correct. Uh. <laughs> I'm checking them out tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they do what they do well, but it's like, yeah, all right. It's like having a band called the Backstreet Girls. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you, there's a million examples for this kind of thing, right? But, but I think oh, it's yeah. it's the it's blues. A shame that you, it was a shame, though, that like there was all those horrible people there that were disinterested in the the actual blues man. But, right. But um, Seymour still didn't get his record signed. Yeah. Exactly. I'm like, surely the dude was just at the back door because no one gave a shit about him. I'm like, why didn't you get your record signed, bro? Yeah. That made me sad. He was he had a bad night and he didn't get his record signed. <laughs> he was depressed, and then he had dual allegiances of you know attempting to make a connection with this woman and then being absolutely horrified and disgusted by the band after him. You know, he was too busy. He was more so it tells you more about Seymour that he was actually more interested in expressing his outrage and disdain for humanity 
than actually uh, validating like one of his musical heroes and, and getting that, Ooh. which actually would potentially be a windfall for him financially because you see he does yeah. flip these records as well. Yeah, yeah. But he was yeah, so just like wrapped that. up in his like, you know, why don't you have more children already? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but I, I feel that, that kind of uh, that kind of passing on a yeah on, well. on this visceral level. Just mean like, why don't you have more children, huh? <laughs> No, I saw I'm, a woman at Publix with seven kids accounting, and I'm like, Mormons. I don't disagree. Let's be clear, but it just shows you, like, you know, that level. These are not always Mormons. They're just people who just don't stop. They're oh, everywhere. Me? My God, shopping at Publix? That shit's expensive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know how it works. You know, it's a little different around the world. But like, the more kids you get, the more money you get. But you know, like in Australia. Yeah, yeah, not America. We get, yeah, we, we don't do that. Like, we give them TV shows, though. We give them like, here's a baby bonus because <laughs> you had a baby. Yeah, that's good. So five hundred bucks a baby, and then you get money from the government per baby as well. Here we get money for nothing and chicks for free, so it's different. Yeah, but they're cutting that down because it's like people are abusing we the have legitimate, which makes me feel weird. But we have legitimate people who just have babies for money, which is gross. So they cut, you know, cut a lot of that out. Thing. Super chats are on. Send us your questions. We will adopt your baby. <laughs> where's that button? Yeah, where's that button? <laughs> Talk about monetization. Am I right? Let me tell you. Hey. Yeah. No, but we had we had the, the child tax credit, which I think was a really good idea for a little bit during the pandemic. And then Democrats pulled that. But like I, I think that that was kind of a, a winning thing. I mean, it doesn't really help people that don't have kids that are struggling. But like, yeah, I, I do think that it was a, a would have been um, a popular like a popular pop policy platform for a long time that would have actually helped a lot of people out. Um, I, I mean, I don't know if people would start having kids for. I think they're just doing that anyway. So, like, yeah, I mean, they, they right yeah. now you know adopt kids for money. So just uh, just like we're trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> I would have if I, mean, I was old enough. I would have adopted. Smash that uh, up, poor Birch. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have adopted Enid. I'd be like, okay, snarky young female, you're now my daughter. <laughs> she like rebels against her own friend in this, which is kind of an interesting scene. When uh, you know, when when she's like, listen, we just have to dress up like yuppies. Like obviously that's not who we are, but that's who you know. That's who they're selling apartments to. And she like almost oh, like it's yeah, a yeah, almost <laughs> like it's a parent or something like completely self-sabotages that moment with the green hair and dresses up like a punk. Like that's Which I thought was so rad. I was like, fuck oh, yeah, bro, fuck those yuppies. Man. You don't want to live in that shit fucking neighborhood. I was like, it's no. Also like, it's also like almost like rebellion. I mean, she doesn't have a mother in this, right? She has a, a horrible-looking lady that... <laughs> yeah. But I, I love the dynamic and the way that they show the, her relationship with her father. He's so awkward and very inept. And it's just horribly like, inept. Yeah. Like it's kind of a not, weird combination of just wanting to see her do best, but being kind of terrible at it at the same time. Yeah. And, and the like, scene where she's like crying in bed and he comes in and he's like, he goes to open the door and he's like, punk, pump, pumpkin. Like it's, <laughs> he's just so awkward. It's like and using then, a broom and going there, there. Yeah. Yeah. He just, he's just has no idea what to do without, Obviously, their mother. I, I feel like though you can see a, a version of like you know Seymour if he had stayed with the woman he has nothing in common with and they had a kid 
like mm-hmm. you could see him turning into her father kind of like well, even, you know, the, like, even the stepmother the stepmother had that same vibe yeah yeah that he was with her because he needs a woman like and that's the best he could get so he's just putting up with it like the scene where Seymour's wearing those hideous jeans. Oh my god, it's so amazing! I forgot I've made this. I don't. He tries to justify it too. Someone in a pair of jeans. He tries to like justify, but like, oh yeah, I guess they're all right. And like, <laughs> like they're mom jeans, yeah. aren't they? And I think we've all like, I think people can relate because we've all seen our friends or families or uncles, aunties let go of them. their like personal style or value because they're like you know their desperation for a partner takes over you know like it's even when when she's you know she doesn't want him to hang out with Eden and like isn't interested in the records and you know starts to like push her agenda of what is cool on him and he starts to like you know obviously give in because he's he desperately wants to have someone to love him and it's like, so, you know, he takes those hideous jeans and he, like, does those things, you know. And even when he's trying, he's trying to justify it, justify it to Enid by, like, oh, it's not that bad. Yeah, well, he's yeah. almost trying to justify well, it himself, too. It's the oh, 100%, yeah. It's, it's him trying to justify it to not only him, but himself, but her. But because she's bringing it to light, it, it's kind of, like, makes it, it's, it's, he's like, oh, I'm really letting go of who I am just for this woman. But there's, all, I mean, there's also a self-esteem element to it that isn't just, you know, that he wants someone to love him, but, like, there isn't a self I mean, like, I've been in, in a relationship with, like, someone that's like, oh, I know how to, how to dress. Like, you, you should get these clothes. And it's not necessarily the clothes you want, but, like, there is a self-esteem element that's like, well, what, what the fuck do I know about, like, going shopping for jeans? Like, maybe maybe this is the jeans that are, you know, cool, or maybe I look better in these jeans. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there is a self-esteem element, I feel like, with details like that, not with, like, something like collecting records or, like, you know what I mean? Like, but like with details, like uh, something that you just don't care about, like you know, like I I'm not like a person that like you know functions that much with fashion. Like I'm like I don't know what, what the fuck. So like there's yeah. an element of just kind of letting that part of it go. Like I, oh I, god, I, just, I really <laughs> with my with my ex, I really was like, dude, you gotta, you can't mix match patterns. It's not it's not it's not the right time to be doing that. <laughs> Right I now. just think there's, there's, there's an element there of where it's okay to give advice and to be, but I think it's really rude and disrespectful to take a person and try and change them entirely like that. And I don't think, and with Seymour, he was an amazing human. He didn't need her putting her fingers exactly. in. And we all know people like that, right? He was that, trying like, to make, you know, she was trying to make him a mainstream acceptable person so that you, she can... You know, yeah. take him out with her friends and whatnot, and like, yeah. this is my dude. And the guy that's like, definitely phoning that is her like manager or whatever that's on the phone behind her, and they have that. Like, oh, what a douche! Yeah, <laughs> that guy was in. Was that guy in uh, American Psycho? Or that guy was in something that we've watched recently. Uh, the actor he was uh, in American Psycho, I think. I yeah, you might be right about that. Yeah, like I think he was like one of the other. Broker. He was the guy he was doing. I'm pretty sure he's the guy he was doing coke with in the bathroom uh, yeah. at the at the bar. That he's like, that's his friend that he's also having an affair with his. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. Anyway, yeah. But, but my main fashion advice is you can't go wrong with band tees and the stress jeans. There you go. I agree. <laughs> Which, yeah. I, but like what I was, yeah, what I was trying to get at is that we've all known both of those kinds of people, 
right? Like the both like the 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 pliant sponge that just doesn't want to like piss off the person that they feel like is like out of their league or you know whatever they just have low self esteem and someone who's like first instinct in a relationship is cool. I like you. Let me change everything about you now. <laughs> yeah. And they're both like personality types. And I think that it's, you know, it's cartoonish, obviously, but it's, it's, there's a certain degree of reality to it that, you know, I think it's actually portrayed fairly well. And I, I think I've seen some younger folks takes on this movie that say it's too mean. And there are parts of it that definitely are. And, you know, like we're, we've kind of danced around it, but there's definitely one that's just no. That's a that's a that's a that's a no from me. Yeah, but when this film was made as well, you got to remember it was before like any of that. Yeah. Before any before of that was all, this, all the PC perfect culture shit had come in hard. You know what I mean? Like even the stuff that the mullet guy says is just wouldn't fly if you tried to do that today. <laughs> but like, you know, actually, you guys better being gay. You guys better be the homos in Greece. Yeah, and and also the comments about from the video from the video guy that he constantly talks to Enid about being a Jew and makes all the Jew jokes. Yeah, he makes tons right. of Jews. But but yeah, so but the actual mullet guy would be like that and more and would continue to be. And like all of like <laughs> these actual situations, like the situation with Seymour Needed, does happen. And it isn't cut and dry mm. and like cartoon villainy necessarily, but it is over a line morally for sure. And we treat that differently. And what we do now is we act like that it's, you know, this perfect world where that oh, that could never happen now or should never happen or you know, you're mm. a rapist if you do that. And like, okay, well, it's technically statutory rape. That's true. But there is like mm. a little more nuance than all that. And I, I look, Trees Lounge. Have you guys seen Trees Lounge? I don't know if I have actually, no. Trees Lounge is amazing. It's, it's, it's crazily enough another Steve Buscemi movie where he had uh, oh, he gets involved with a, with a, uh, with a younger lady there too. But it's, it's more of, it's less, comedic and more just sort of like, mm. like but even like the scene where she where she rocks up to his house and starts getting drunk and then tries to get him drunk and he's wearing it's kind of perfectly orchestrated where he's wearing his slippers and socks and he's <laughs> like flannies and he's got a full dressing gown on like and you know and he's got this girl busty and short dress just leaning all over the joint and like ah and then next thing you know they're getting it on, and then that awkward scene in the morning went. Oh, yeah. well, it's not really. Where she, said, where she looks like she's like ten, the way that it's lit too. That's one yes. thing I like so much about it is that yeah, you get the yeah. lighting and everything from the night before, and she's like, oh yeah, she was pretty, looks almost like an adult, and then like the next morning, like it's just like, oh no, yeah. she's a child. Yeah, <laughs> and the bit like immediately after they've had sex, and he's like, cuddle, cuddle, and she's all like, oh shit, yeah. what yeah. have I done? It's also, I guess, not technically statutory. I looked up because apparently, I think this movie takes place in Seattle. And it depends on the state. You just had to look that up. Yep. <laughs> um, technically, um, <laughs> if, if, if your Twitter enemies find this show and just excerpt that piece of it, <laughs> especially after I called someone out for literally saying that the other day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Checking on the statutory limits. Um, no, but well, hold on, hold on, hold on, no, 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 hold on. He's in a feeble file. Uh, different things, different. <laughs> so, yeah, so Trees Lounge is a similar movie, but it's a dark drama, and it's it's also the idea of, yeah, it's morally obviously it's it's not 
okay to before someone's like a fully formed adult to be able to engage in sexual relations, but it doesn't mean that they don't have autonomy themselves either. And so mm. that's what makes it like, you know, on, on the line, it isn't on the line, but it is on the line of the fact that it makes for a good um, narrative structure to, especially when you have the stakes of the fact that like, she honestly likes him and he honestly likes her. And, but also well, that's, that's the thing. Yeah. And she's, she's now old enough ish. You know what I mean? Like, Ish. And she's she's actually <laughs> your state putting, will report you know she's putting herself. She actually wants to be there. She wants to do this. She's not being coerced. He's not like pushing she's her. Doing the coercion she's not, or anything like she's like yeah she's exactly one, which you she's, don't really see in movies that often. Yeah, she's doing <laughs> the coercion and and the seduction, and he's kind of like sitting back, kind of like this is not quite right, but I'd love to. This is in my dreams, but I don't really want to do it in real life, but I do, you know. And he, and then she's like, "Bring it, come on, let's do this." And he's like, "What fifty-year-old dorky man like that would not would go? Sorry, not happening." Like I find that hard to believe. Even me, like if some if I might get to fifty and some hot friggin' little patootie. Is like do, parading around, you know, and then like doing it gets, that. It gets you drunk, not the other way around. It's like, yeah, exactly. It's like, hey, maybe don't get drunk in my house. She's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's just like, whoa, let's roll. Well, it, it, it's uh, it's interesting when we we see these films. A lot of the times, it's portrayed like where women in their forties and fifties are having relations with younger, younger, much younger men to make themselves feel young again. And and rarely do we see it with like men and much like older men and much younger women. Yeah. And you see it a lot in real life, but <laughs> I, was, yeah, I was gonna let it slide, but I agree. I, I mean I mean the thing is though is like like there is actually kind of an age differential in a lot of uh, Hollywood stuff where like as soon as you turn 30 in Hollywood, you all of a sudden are playing a mom. And like yeah. the opposite of like uh you know somebody who's like fifty or sixty as your husband, and, and uh, it's just uh you know it, it, you see it all the time. It's just uh now we're all drunk and moving around. Ooh, Hollywood Squares, let's go. <laughs> but, um, this is not my doing. <laughs> I'm not in the mood for frivolity such as this right now. <laughs> Serious business. Am. I'm having a good frivolous Friday. <laughs> but yeah no i do feel like like the, you know we see it a lot just it's not addressed like this and it's not as in your face yeah um uh because like i mean remember uh um oh what's her name she she, she played um uh she, she was that vampire and uh buffy she, she was like a, a high schooler or she passed off as a high schooler at first and like the first episode and she became like a regular on the show oh, and then, no 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 uh, one of the the vampires. Um, she she went on to uh, Dexter. Oh, you're. T uh, I know you're talking about. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, right after Buffy, she did a show where she was playing um, Michael Chiklis's wife. Yeah. So she like went from high school to being a mom. Uh, you know, like almost it's, immediately. And then, uh, yeah. What's 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 I, what is her name? Speaking of being old, I have to start seeing a primary doctor now and i'm like fuck they're like christina you're getting closer to 30 i'm like well thank you for letting me know that 30 means i'm getting old julie benz by the way they send you a yes they julie benz they send you a letter getting close to, yeah. like, alert getting close to 30 yeah and julie benz is fantastic too i haven't gotten any alerts and i'm, I'm bloody turning 42 next month they're like you gotta get a wellness check i'm like no i don't 
Well, the thing about Australia is time goes backwards, so, you know. Yeah, well, yeah. We, <laughs> some of us stay nice and youthful. Can we, uh, exactly. Can we, if we're talking about time going backwards, can we just say that the, um, so the whole art class and like the pandering student to, oh my God. So the leading, leading everybody towards like what she's looking for, a teacher. And that like when this, came out, when this came out, the, the sort of heavy handed like abortion metaphors were all like very much like, oh my God, whatever. And then, Seeing it recently is like, Ooh, all right. <laughs> the tampon in the teacup. And also, it was that stereotypical art teacher that you want to punch in the face. Oh, I've had course. plenty of those art teachers. God, I had, I had oh my God. I, 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 I'm not a huge fan of found object art. <laughs> like, I find it so fucking lazy. But, like, lots of people get lots of money out of it going that route but she was the epitome of that stereotypical art, art like artist yes. teacher that just oh pain yeah but it makes it really funny then when she's <laughs> you're, you're watching her uh you know watch the presentation which is clearly bullshit you know what i mean yeah. like it's clearly a presentation that she just like kind of pulled out <laughs> of her ass with the with yeah. the uh which is something that we probably have to discuss before uh this episode comes to a close is the cook's chicken uh, <laughs> yeah it's, uh, yeah, yes. uh, which is not a real restaurant, but Coon Chicken Inn apparently is. I didn't know yes, that. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Even I knew night. that one. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know how how that. Well, slipped. that's was that was the original name is Coon, yeah. Coon Chicken. Yeah, but uh, so but like her bullshit presentation that she gives to her, and she's just listening, and you're like, is she gonna buy this? You're like, this she's she sucks enough that she's gonna buy this. Like you you kind of you kind of know that, but like the rest of the yeah. class is like you know whatever and uh yeah it's, it's hilarious to see like the the shallowness or like the superficiality of her presentation and then she's like well i'm convinced this is a great project yeah <laughs> and there's, there's like cool. like takes a beat where you're like waiting for the reaction and then and yeah it's just like oh of course of course you are gonna say that you know <laughs> but then by the yeah. same token when enid grabs the uh the poster and puts in the art and it ends up in the art show that she doesn't go to. You know, the teacher does stand up for, you know, the, you're like, well, it's, you know, it's, it's art. And like, you, just because you don't like it doesn't mean that it needs to be taken down. And she does take a stance. It's just that Enid games the system after seeing, you know, the other student game the system like over and over and over again. And it ends up, you know, backfiring because, of course, you know, cancer culture is out of control, really. <laughs> Well, the, the teacher defends it the way like Glenn Greenwald or somebody would defend it too. She's like, "This yeah. is censorship. You need to let me put like, leave this racist art up there. It doesn't matter how you feel about it." And then you know, I feel like there's two kinds of. Uh, but that's like, how it used to be. That's how that that was the, that was the argument before. Yeah, because it because remember that was the '90s. The '90s was all about censoring, you know, Sister Soldier and like uh, you know. <laughs> Look, yeah. I, live crew, terrible, but they were, they were definitely the victims of censorship. Yes, uh, and uh, that was the '80s, though. The uh, uh, was it the the parents who were against everything led by Dipper Gore, PMRC, um, yeah, Dipper Gore, yeah, and uh, they had the big the big hearings with uh, uh, John Denver teamed up with um, the dude from uh, Twisted Sister, D. Snyder, yeah, D. Snyder, yeah, and you know to, to it's fight. Still, it's still hilarious watching. I mean, because I watched it a bunch of times, like. D. Snyder in front of fucking Congress. Yeah. Going back and forth. I still love that video. 
I mean, Two Life Crew was late '80s and early '90s, to be explicitly clear. I don't know why I feel need to correct Andy about that, but like it, it's there was a lot of like again, and if you want to talk about like Bill Clinton was encouraged to like find someone to basically attack so that like, you know, he could look strong and it's like, whatever, they're still doing the same, same thing now, but that was the, there was no moralistic intention of, of like, no, this, you, you're a good person. If you, you know, are anti-racist that didn't exist as far as popular societal constructs, but there definitely was a, Hey, I don't like this, but it should, you know, freedom of speech says that, this should be out there and should, people should be racked to it. It's, you're not free from consequences, but it is freedom of speech. Bill, uh, Bill Clinton should have teamed up with two live crew for the Oh Me So Horny <laughs> remix. Um, the nasties the wannabe. <laughs> Me love you a long time. <laughs> <laughs> it's a master party business, right? <laughs> but, I, but I guess we're, dan- we're kind of dancing around the issue of like, yeah, wow. It's First of all, Coon's Chicken was real, right? And then like and and then it changed to Cook's Kitchen, and then like the whole. I, I guess that I guess that didn't happen. And what I was reading is that it actually didn't change after that. They just shut it down at some point. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the idea that like it just changed into something more acceptable, like it's not that restaurant necessarily, but that's a pretty common story within you know American capitalism. I mean, look at Aunt Jemima. Uh, you know, for sure. example, yeah. like like the mm-hmm. history of Aunt Jemima. Go back. To the early stuff that was obviously, you know, um, influenced by the, uh, uh, the, 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 um, oh crap. Yeah, not what a fan of Angie Mima's, uh, early stuff, but you know, her later albums. <laughs> yeah. No. But, 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 album guy, yeah. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't believe they were like, we're removing an episode of Golden Girls because they're wearing mud masks. And I'm like, who the fuck asked for that? No one. The community. One of the best episodes of community, uh, where um he dresses like a drow but they're like dude you're wearing blackface yeah <laughs> yeah off and it's, it's like it's always sunny in philadelphia they even took out the episodes the creators their actors were like we can't have these episodes on anymore i'm like but there's a self-awareness to the fact you're doing the whole joke is that it's highly offensive and the characters are so like out of it and and like i don't know like uh yeah narcissistic that they think they can get away with it yeah, but that, that's yeah. the problem. Black and blackface is fucking hilarious. I don't know. <laughs> but that's but that's the problem is that that's a show about dumb people for smart people, and yeah, yeah. Just, it's harder and harder to get away with nuance now. Yeah. But, so yeah. But for for our audio listeners right now, um, I pulled up a picture of the. So this is the original Coon Chicken in the actual, um, and and they did it for the point of making sure that, you know, black people knew that they weren't welcome in this part of Seattle. Like, it wasn't just like, oh, we have kind of a racist logo. It was done <laughs> so that the, 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 the facade of the restaurant is the, the ra- like the racist coon character logo. Yeah. Um, and this is a, a picket outside of it where people are saying that it's unfair that uh, they all look like white people. So I don't, I don't know. I thought this was the NAACP protest picture, but now looking at it, I mean, it might be. A lot be- of white he- like a lot of whiteheads. <laughs> a lot of Apple Biancos, which is my mom's last name, it means white. <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. Like, I've been at, you know, the grandparents of like a girlfriend or something, and being like, "Hey, what's up with this crockery?" Where it's like just like blatantly racist, and it's like, "Oh, like oh, those are antiques." I'm like, "Yeah, I know, I know they are." <laughs> you know, like Nazi memorabilia in the closet. I mean, like this is fucked up, man. I, I remember growing up near a uh, funeral home that had one of those uh, lawn jockeys um, uh, sitting out in front of it. 
There was a uh, there was a really good episode of I'm not sure if you guys have ever watched um, Master of None, the the show yeah, that yeah, uh, Zari did. Yeah, I watched it before really it was canceled. <laughs> it was a really good yeah, episode. Yeah. I, I saw him after he was canceled. He came to Australia and talked, and he talked about that whole cancel thing and what exactly happened. And I reverted my decision. He shouldn't have been canceled. I don't think the season's. Yeah, I don't think he should right. have been canceled. Yeah. When you actually hear the facts, um, he did actually not do anything wrong. It, well, he. I think it's off. I think. I think what was yeah. happening at the time is that cancel culture was starting to sweep up people that had awkward interactions. That's like, yeah, that that sucks. But like, it's not like it's not like you should never be able to work again from it, right? Like, like maybe you should have some kind of thing where, um, you know, you you have a, a conversation with someone and you realize how to communicate better. But not like it's not like a, an offense where it's like, oh no, you should never be able to work again. And I feel like a lot of those cases were being mm. up in the same thing as like someone who would like you know uh, like it was a serial rapist or something. And and those so those things were getting conflated for a long time because they you know a lot of times like um, the more liberal media outlets uh, you know they, they made a lot of headway with those articles. You know what I mean? Like they got a lot of clicks from those articles. They were looking mm. for more and more people to, to do that. Kind of when people feel powerless, they're gonna go for whatever they can. It's it's mm. it's the it's actual mob rule. Like if, if you people are gonna seek out catharsis if they have no means of justice, and that's the way it always has been and always will be. And it's really easy to understand. So the answer, if you really hate count, uh, cancel culture, is bring justice into the picture. But no, no, we can't possibly have that because it isn't gonna be like that, oh, people are trying to apply their morals like the PMRC, getting back to what we were talking about earlier about, uh, you know, the cancel culture of the 80s, which was all the quote-unquote moral, quote-unquote majority, which is, you know, Christianity and uh, uh, gone wrong. But it's also like if you have a situation where people feel like anarchy reigns, then all people have is, you know, uh, just make the villain of the day who was it this time cool get him butch you know it's also yeah. just just as a collective let's just be better people well that'd be yeah nice. just be better um, humans but i so i so i wanted to uh this this facade on this building that was the the symbol that they have in in, in the movie the coon chicken in uh symbol so i guess what they did is um both the naacp and like you know random civilians uh took it to court and what they would do is they would literally just paint the facade a different color. So like first they painted it, so they painted it red instead of black. That's fucked up. Yeah, it's really fucked. And then they painted it, um, they painted it blue instead of black. And they're like, it's not a, it's it's just like a clown or something. Look, it's totally but, different now. And then they were they were handing out uh, tire hubcap covers, like you know when they used to have the old, um, like when you could just put the thing over it of the face, and people would put it on their car in order to, like, ward off black people coming to their neighborhood. And uh, at one point, someone stole one Circle of protection black? So somebody, like somebody, um, it, so somebody someone stole, so someone stole the hubcap off the car, and the judge was like, well, yeah, I can see why you did that. Just, you know, here's a small fine, just go home. Yeah. And that was, like, the first court case they had against uh, Coon Chicken Inn. Was was but... <laughs> Was the owner was white, right, and the staff were black? Is that correct? No, they no, the, they were all white. It was a, it was oh, a white, white. white restaurant in a. Uh, well, I assumed it was called Coon's Chicken because obviously the stereotype of you know in the back in you know the fifties and stuff like 
chicken was a huge thing that um, black Americans were amazing at making. So I, I wasn't sure how so kind of connected. The guy <laughs> wanted to make a white restaurant that served that, like, you know, the kind of chicken that's stereotypically served in black communities. He wanted to make it at a white restaurant with the white staff. But also it was in an, um, I, I was actually watching a, a weird interview where someone was talking about the original restaurant and they were like really classist. So they were like, oh, like they were like the rich like neighborhood in Seattle. They're like, oh, you didn't go down to the poor neighborhood in Seattle where that was, but it was like the poor white neighborhood. And then there was a poor black neighborhood. And this was to get the, you know, the, the, the black citizens of Seattle as the population of black people uh, going west increased after World War II. They wanted to make sure the black people knew that they weren't welcome. So they put a giant facade mm -hmm. of a, you know, of a stereotypical, um, incredibly racist black face onto this in the middle of the street so that people would know, like, hey, don't move here. <laughs> and then, like, then they used the it again uh, in uh, the great movie uh, CSA. Which the is okay better. movie CSA. It's only okay. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> it is conceptually five stars <laughs> absolutely stars, yes. though, honestly but yeah it's an alternate history of like basically what happened if the, if the confederacy would have won and then i believe done as a documentary yeah it's done in a documentary with commercials the commercials are what gets me yes like, commercials are amazing the commercials is what makes the movie really yeah. um, is there a show that also does that right now um what is it uh it's based on like a, a novel series it's like an amazon show that's like if the confederacy my man in the high castle yeah that's that's a Philip K. Dick book, and that's if the Nazis had won. Oh, all right, it's very different. Uh, I mean, <laughs> uh, no, <not> similar. <laughs> I mean, are things that different? Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Here's the thing: that's one of my favorite books of all time, and I heard the show is only okay, so I haven't watched it because I'm. I just I yeah, I was, told, I was told the same. I also watched a show yeah. about the Nazis winning. Uh, I saw the first season. It's oh got um, one of my favorite actors in it, and. Uh, I would definitely would watch more because I would watch that man read her phone book. Uh, Which guy is it? Because there's two. Uh, okay, um, it's I, I always screw up his name, so bear with me. It's um, uh, Carrie Tai. Uh, I'm doing this off the top of my head. I got to look it up. He's it's, it's a long Japanese name. Ah. There you go. Oh, this is gonna be fun. This is gonna, this is gonna be good. <laughs> it's, it's Google long Japanese name plus Nazi. No, I mean just just look up Mortal Kombat. It's World War II humor. Come on, dude. <laughs> no, he was he was uh, in Mortal Kombat. No, not that Mortal Kombat. That one. Oh, J oh. Joe de la Funta? No, Carrie uh, Hiroyuki Tagawa. There you go. That was I, like literally is is uh, you know I've seen him in uh, just about everything, uh, and, and uh, like I would seriously if if he read a phone book, especially if he read it at Shao Kahn. Just um, about everything, some of the time, or Shang Tsung. Sorry. <laughs> if, he read, if he read it at Shang Tsung, uh, I would just be like in heaven. Right. Fantastic. Okay, so back to Ghost World. Uh, <laughs> I think this is, even though it's a pastiche of different Klaus books, which by the way, Daniel Klaus used to live over the hill from me in Oakland. Oh, uh, and I would see him on my way to the, like, the coffee shop that was cool but not too cool. And he would this one time he was on this he was in the street going up and i was on the street going down like and we looked at each other and we like locked eyes and he could tell that i knew who he was and he had this yeah. oh my god please don't say anything please don't say anything <laughs> and i just smiled and nodded and, and moved on because i know he's exactly like you know like seymour like one of his characters right where he's just like that would be hell for him that would be yeah. absolute hell 
but I am a huge fan of all his books. Even though Ghost World is a bit of a pastiche, you know, 80, 75 to 80% uh, there, I would actually put it as one of the best comic book adaptations of all time because the feel is exactly yeah. what it needs. It's captured perfectly as in film. Yeah. Guys, it's not season one, by the way. <clears throat> Moon Kong. Moon Kong. <laughs> it's, it's extreme Kong. I forgot what that was, what that show was up for, but that's great. <laughs> It definitely, it definitely was for a show that did not involve the Nazis at all, and Andy brought in a completely unrelated film about Nazis on the moon. That it was, it was our book smart. Nazis on the moon. Yeah, Iron Sky, classic film. Watch it. Yeah, uh, classic. <laughs> anyway, so, the, but but Klaus is very much like a Seymour type, like it, it absolutely in his way, and God, what a perfect role for Steve Buscemi too. And um, yeah, and he, he had, owned it. He did it perfect. Like he completely owned that role. Everything about it, like, and I love the little, the just those tiny little nuggets, like you know him having to wear the lumbar support, and all those things to remind you, you know, who this man is, and like you know, and and reiterate like those things. So, all right, this this is for Christina and Renee. So, Christina, you first. Steve Buscemi, sexy in this. Yeah. Renee? Uh, yeah, I would probably do him from any film because I have this. Yeah. His, it's his personality, warmness, and character that sucks me right in. Yeah. It's a good actor. I had forgotten that he was on The Sopranos. Like, And he's actually a great person from all accounts. Yeah. Yeah, he's a firefighter. And, like, you know, he gives so much back to community and whatnot. Like, I just... There's something about him that's cuddly and warm and feels like home. That's how I feel about him. Oh, <laughs> that's sweet. Yeah, sure. Very funny. Come on, please. Becky and I have been dying to go in here, but we can never find any boys to take us. I could never picture anybody else in this film. Steve Buscemi was the guy, and I always thought of him as somewhat funny looking. And then my wife heard me talking on the phone to him one day, and she said, that's Steve Buscemi on the phone? I said, yeah. And she said, there's only one guy in Hollywood you have to worry about leaving me alone in a room with. It's Steve Buscemi. So I couldn't care less about Harrison Ford, Brad Pitt, you know, any of those guys. It's like, and I think, you know, well, my wife's a little weird because she's with me anyway. But every woman I've ever talked to has a thing for Steve Buscemi. Have I been saying it wrong my entire life? Is it is that how you say it? No, Buscemi. I think it's Steve Buscemi. Yeah. Everyone says it wrong. There's so many different ways. Oh my god! I keep forgetting that one time when Bill Skarsgård was on the uh, was on with with Stephen Colbert, and they always have to talk about his resemblance because I'm like, are you sure Stellan Skarsgård is his father? I'm like, <laughs> did you take a paternity test? I but he has, he's got a bigger head. He's a dad. When yeah. you look at him when he's younger, you can totally see it. Yeah. He's grown wow. into a bigger man with a bigger head like some dads do. Bill Bill Skarsgård looks more like his mother, surprisingly, who's got these big mm. eyes and all that, so that gets the, Bus- the Buscemi look. And Alexander. Like- Alexander's like... I think I, I think Alexander's hot as well, as well as, well as oh. Bill, in different ways. <laughs> how you, how about at, his head size? What's his head size? <laughs> both their head sizes are Like the Skarsgård, like... Uh, uh, Skarsgård scale. Skarsgård scale, let's go. <laughs> because they're really tall and skinny, and their dad is more built, not 
tall, skinny, you know? I know that one film that Bill Scarsworth could be doing uh, very, very soon. He got ripped. And I'm like, ooh. And he's still uh, thin. He's He's still a thin, small build, you know, person. But, like, early Steve Buscemi as well, he was actually a really attractive dude. Yeah. Like, very cool. Like, they always use, like, know, the younger photos of him. Living in oblivion. Like, reminds me of uh, Peter Lorre. But, like, a more normal-looking Peter Lorre. But there's just something about his, like, eyes to, I think, eyes to the rest of his face ratio that I always feel like there's a, a, a slight resemblance between Peter Lorre, who's honestly one of the greatest actors of all time, and Steve Buscemi, who is, too. Like, maybe it's an, maybe it's an actor thing. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to think. There's yeah, there, there's a few films when he's a lot younger where he's just really gorgeous, and then there's Living in Oblivion when he's got the long hair. Living in Oblivion, which is one of the best movies about making a film ever. Like it's, it's great, a bloody great film. And um, yeah, and he has long hair in that one. And he's a lot younger, and he's just a cool dude. Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, there he yeah, is. There, there, there's there's, there's, there's young snack Steve Buscemi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it Buscemi or Buscemi? I don't know. I don't know. If he's saying Buscemi, he's probably right. Yeah, I, I feel think, like I mean, um. I think if you do it like you know in an Italian way, it's like Buscemi. I don't think they. Buscemi. Steve Buscemi. 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 I don't think they do the Buscemi. like the like. I, I feel like that's uh yeah, it's our our invention as a <laughs> American society a little bit more. Yeah, I wish I knew. I mean, it's I like as someone who's constantly had his first name pronounced wrong his entire life. You know, I like to pronounce <laughs> names right when I can, as long as I know. I've heard but. people say it both ways. So I don't know. Well, Maybe yeah, it's, yeah. it's like we're Maybe talking about. Um, <laughs> like we're talking about. Um, the spell right on the check. That's all I care about. I'm say it wrong. <laughs> we're talking about ex machina. That's how Australians say it. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. But apparently it's ex machina or whatever the hell. But like, yeah, we say ex machina. So it just depends mm-hmm. where you are. And well, but the thing is, it's, it's how literal. I don't care how you say it, Gary. I don't care about pronunciation. <laughs> like, I think Garland did that on purpose because if you think about it, like Machina, right? It's artificial intelligence, right? And then it's, mm-hmm. it's you know, like there's that. It's I think it's clever to build in. Oh man, I I don't know if I want to go there there with this or not. There there's it's using. Uh, spoken language in a way that makes a, a, a better reference. So, but for example, this is Silence of the Lambs. Uh, when Lecter's talking about I eat his liver with a fine Chianti. And fava beans. And fava beans, yes. But the important part is the wine. It's it's an Amarone in the book. And that was changed because uh, it's, it's an indication of the type of antidepressants he's on and that he's off his meds. Because you cannot actually have uh, the limpids that are in uh, red wine, spe- specifically in a Chianti rather than Amarone, uh, cause a reaction that, you know, apparently make you not able to articulate yourself or something. But it's a really deep reference. So, uh, director of Sounds of the Lambs, uh, uh, Demi, right? Um, change that. Or the scriptwriter, I don't know which one. To make it like even more clever in the fact that it's it's an indication that Lecter's off his meds. And you only know that if you're like a foodie or like big into like a sommelier, right? Like he's big into wine pairing or something along those lines. And I thought that oh, was... Yeah. It, sure. Uh, the, and I thought that was so great that when I did the record about Hannibal Lecter, Art of Murder, copies almost not available, only six copies left. 
that I threw that in as a reference because it's a certain indication of using wordplay to make another reference that goes deeper than the original reference. So henceforth, ex, ex machina or ex machina is exactly that. So whatever that is, write us. Maybe send it as a super chat. <laughs> I'm dying to drop that knowledge if you have it, because I don't have it, and I've referenced it in songs. Uh, By the way, the only reason why I know how to correctly pronounce sommelier is because my uncle really, really, really likes wine, and he turned that into becoming one. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, he, so he works as a... Well, I mean, he doesn't really work, but he's, like, registered as a sommelier. I guess it's, like, yeah. a, a course that you have to pass. Well, the, the, the point is you'd have to be someone of whatever that vocation is pronounced to be able to understand that reference and, and uh, to get that level. But it's, it's, that's a, you know, going for the, for the cheap seats sort of um, uh, change up in, in the script that also Garland's a smart guy. Maybe that was a, you know, maybe people, cause what's Latin, right? Uh, it's, mis- yeah. it's, it's a, it's, or is it Greek? I think it's Latin where it's, it's um machine. Well, there's, uh, it's machine of God is the actual saying, right? Uh, just exp- yeah, it's like a theater expression from yeah. like back in the uh, Greek and Roman times. Meaning that there's a solution that comes from like a quote unquote divine source, meaning that the writer had a writer's block or something. Yeah, right? just ex machina. Yeah, but like it looks like machina and it's about artificial intelligence. Yeah, so that, which that's, is also that's why they, uh, they named that comic book uh, ex machina, the same thing by uh, uh, Brian um, K. Vaughn and... Uh, uh, oh, I'm blanking on the artist because I love him. But but uh, th- th- there was that comic book series about the guy who could speak to machines. And uh, he- he's now mayor of New York City. And the twist is, is on 9-11, he only saved... Michael Bloomberg? <laughs> no, no. But but the twist of the whole series Unless is that... that to talk to the machine. He That's where the Bloomberg terminal here comes. Actually, yeah. He uses superpowers <laughs> to become mayor. Um, uh, you know, is it... Him being superhero became to become mayor because he saved one of the towers on 9 11. Ah, gotcha. Okay, so God from the machine. Using his cop powers to convince everyone to like the guy with CTE. Look, this wasn't the super cop I signed up for. Um, I've got a question for Andrew. Um, because you obviously know the source material well. Watch him perk up. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, was the, what were your thoughts on um, the betrayal of Josh in the film? Because I don't know if many people know or you guys know, but um, originally in the film, um, Enid actually sleeps with Josh and he actually has way more scenes in the film. And it was they decided to delete the him sleeping with Enid and some of the other scenes because they felt like it would complicate the the whole idea of him, like her then sleeping with Seymour and that it would kind of make people dislike Enid, like, like by them having this kind of love triangle. So all of the scenes where Enid actually hooks up with Josh um, were, were deleted. And I'm just wondering because he doesn't have m- many scenes throughout the film that are that poignant where he is quite more more in the book uh, so it, does, uh, wait, it does it does put uh more stress on the he's just a guy we like to torture lion yeah who josh is but yeah yeah where and it's but you still get this strong feeling that obviously enid is attracted to him he's attracted to her 
but then you can also tell, you know, that, um, sorry, Scarjo, got her name, um, is also attracted. Was to... she ever anything else? Or was it just this? <laughs> <laughs> no, she's been in plenty, but I just, it's just Scarjo to me. But, um, you know, and she obviously is attracted to Josh. And it, and had also, if this, if they had have kept those scenes in, there would have been complications, obviously, then with Seymour and complications even more so then between the girls. I'm going to be totally honest with you. It's I, I've never read the full like ghost world in order. Um, <laughs> I've read random issues of uh, uh, shoot. What was his book? Uh, was optic nerve? Was that, was that mm -hmm. what it was published in? Yeah. Optic nerve. I read a, a bunch of random issues. And so I'm familiar with it. I've looked at the, you know, like I've thumbed through all the graphic novels and, watch videos on the art because nervous Tomain, by the way, who's like junior Daniel Klaus. Okay. No, what was mm -hmm. shit? What was, what was that anthology? I think it'd be eight ball, eight ball. Yes. Andy, you're the resident comics guy. What the fuck? <laughs> you know, I, I'm I mean, the question also goes out to everybody. I mean, what, how, how, you know, with that being, you know, that was, would have, was going to be a, quite a big part of the film. Like how would that have changed your view of the film had, had it been basically she hooks up with Josh prior to Seymour, you know what I mean? Well, and yeah, like, Adam, I just wanted to add that. <laughs> but it also, it also like, um, there's that, I think that's why that tension is there because this was, it was all filmed at the same time, obviously. And then they just decided to delete it later, which sort of is why there's some weird tension in certain parts with Josh, like, especially when Enid comes and stuff, there's a bit of awkwardness. But yeah, the main reason they they deleted it was because they felt that the audience would lose respect and sympathy for Enid because uh, she kind of just seemed like she's using them both. Yeah, like it. It, it and then the impact is more when her and Seymour. Yeah, it's just Seymour. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes you oh. find the movie in the editing room too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I find this show in the editing room. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I mean, I thought it was heading down when the first time I watched it. I thought it was heading down the track that she was going to hook up with Josh. I think if it came out now, it would At be because this is it's like at what an hour 40 minutes or something. This film, mm. but like if it came out today, I think I think people are just be four hours long. And yeah, they, you know. they people <laughs> longer movies are just the norm now, and I don't, I personally don't care for it. Uh, but you know, sometimes it's justified, but most of the time it's just like I yeah. finally saw Eternals and it was so boring. I'm I still watching it. I have something called ADHD, which makes it hard for me to sit there for that amount of time in one place. So, I, you know, the, the whole long movie trends, uh, not something that I love. Love, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm fine either way. I get, I'm so, I love being in another world, so I get completely immersed. Throw me fifty Lord of the Rings films and I'll watch them all in one weekend. Like uh, Lord of the Rings justifies it, I think. But like that yeah. the Batman movie, man. If you dropped a half hour off that, it would have been a better film, man. I'm sorry. Absolutely. Oh I, no, but the, I, I, I need to have a chemistry of rocks together. I didn't. Like, I didn't I enjoy see the Batman. Ba I didn't enjoy the Batman film. Honestly, watching that too. <laughs> Weirdly, I liked it about as much as Matthew Film Guy, which is to say, not very much. But it's. Mm. I don't like well, talking. I was, about I was incredibly disappointed. I was like, "This is supposed to be some goth version of Batman." Yeah, this is piss weak, and it's way too long and and just dragged out. And oh. 
Yeah, there, there were some great moments in there, and, and like it could have been a better film. Yeah, drop, oh, drop, about, drop an hour got, off it. You got Mr. Broody there, and you're like, oh, it's so great. He had to listen to The Cure in order to get ready for this film. Well, show us some fucking goth then, mate, because there isn't any in here. You're just a weenie whiner. I do like that he at like, least like, brought the detectiveness to it. That's if I'm going to force to say something mm. nice, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I said, they, 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 but like they didn't need the Joker scene. That didn't add anything. Stupid. It's just it's you know no. it's an inessential movie that a lot of people seem to like, and I'll be surprised if it makes my top twenty three list because I'm starting to do it. Well, you know, there's there's, there's, there's some films that just tick certain boxes that people love, but they don't offer that much. Like. I hate to say it, but like the Superman films really just like are just uh, blah, 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 over and over again to me. I just like I can watch them while I'm doing something else on there on the TV, but like to me, they're not like. I like know, the Doctor Superman films, like the Christopher Reeve ones. Those, those are, you know, like. I, no, I yeah, can't... Christopher Reeve, yeah, yeah, old school. Sure. We're talking old school 80s Superman. That's when they knew how to do shit. But like you know, they did, they did that, uh, what was it? It was a Man of Steel. Was that first most recent one? I saw it in 3D, right? But the 3D, one of the scenes involved him throwing the baseball to the dog. Where I'm like, are you fucking kidding me right now? That's one of the five 3D scenes in this piece of shit movie. I, I mean, if they had the dog exploding movie. after he hits, his, you know, throws the ball to the dog, then that would have been worth it. Yeah, exactly. Then it would have been worthwhile. Like, how do you have? And like, that was just that movie sucked. A show that seemed to do a lot of, I didn't watch the new uh, Batman movie, but the show, a show that seemed to do a lot of that kind of fan service, like that I did, I, I liked, but did it a lot was uh, Gotham. I felt like often tried to pigeonhole like way too many references. By the way, Kevin Spacey is Lex Luthor in that film. I forgot about that. I swear to God, if this these if this Warner Brothers Discovery Plus merger gets rid of Harley the Harley Quinn series, I will have my Joker arc, and by that I mean running for mayor as a badass socialist. Which <laughs> Christina, upon I, your, I always forget you're a huge Harley Quinn fan. I, yeah, I, upon your girl. recommendation, I did actually start watching that cartoon. It is indeed pretty fucking awesome. Yeah, so, wait till when Joker runs for mayor. He he's like, I'm not like a socialist. I am a socialist. I, just, I, I for just, universal I just posted healthcare. that clip today because DSA posted that clip. That was like, I'm not like a socialist. I am a socialist. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> no, sure. Joe Bros. No, we like to call ourselves the same clown posse. <laughs> hey, everybody. Uh, it, th that cartoon is good though, so like I'm I'm super into it. Thank you for the recommendation. Uh, another recommendation I have is for everyone to go to the website Letterbox, Letterbox.com, a social media site for film lovers who talk at with and to each other about the films that they love, the films that they didn't love. See my the Batman review, the <laughs> film that made them weirdly thirsty for the titular character that I'm now completely unsure about the last name pronunciation of. Buscemi. <laughs> all of these things uh, bottom-up democracy it's uh, no Siskels and Eberts everyone gets to have their say best expressed in the one-liner format these are the letterbox one-liners for Ghost World roll them Forrest I also love telling people to kill themselves <laughs> this is me Princess Diana <gasps> nice yeah. badass the whales yeah. <laughs> reviewing <laughs> from the grave <laughs> This is literally me. I also love telling people to kill themselves. <laughs> I've seen your Twitter. I know. I'm banned on Twitter because I told too many people to go kill themselves. I pass out the uh, the suicide hotline number uh, whenever I feel like uh, somebody needs to do that. So 
I kind of do the opposite. <laughs> yeah, the yin and yang. There was a there was this there was this uh, debate or something that happened recently where somebody ended up tweeting out this this a, a picture of this debate and they were like, "What Forrest Miller really does is he tells anti-fascists to go kill themselves." I was like, "That's like one percent of what I do." <laughs> I do so much more. I do, I do so much other stuff. Right. <laughs> move on, move on. Next. Some people are okay, but most days I feel like poisoning everybody. Yeah. Well, they're not going to kill themselves. <laughs> exactly. Just, I, I have no notes. That, that's how I felt at that age, too. Yeah. yeah. What happened to all the misanthropes? Or is it just podcasters now? <laughs> Sorry, but love it. Yeah, fair, I feel fair, seen. Fair point. Yeah. You have to laugh at yourself. If you have no sense of humor and you can't laugh at yourself, you should just jog on. I'm mis misanthropic towards a lot of podcasters, though, too. Like, I, like I am one. <laughs> hey, you should see me earlier in this show. <laughs> <laughs> I just Sometimes don't have it. <laughs> Yeah, I just don't have energy for anger against podcasters. I don't understand podcast beefs. I think they're so silly. Well, I mean, most of it is just people trying to get views from other people, right? Like they're like, oh, if I if I come at somebody, then people like it's audience consolidation, and I've been noticing that a lot with people, and it's like nonsensical because a lot of the people that I follow that are doing podcasts, like it's political, which I don't really like political podcasts, but like I end up in that realm. And a lot of people are just like, hey, this person's the same audience. Let me vaguely make up something about a political beef so I can just try to take their audience. Mm. It is what it is. I Thank no you idea. for podsplaining that. <laughs> Podsplain America. <laughs> check off an uncheck guy. You introduce an uncheck guy in the first 15 minutes, he needs to have attempted to strangle someone with them by the last act. Oh, yeah. True. Checkoffs. You did just say checkoffs and nunchucks, but I I, I appreciate the attempt. <laughs> would you, Would you like to comment on that review with your notes? Maybe that would be. <laughs> I have nunchucks. I have notes. <laughs> Masterpiece. Never knew I needed a movie where Scarlett Johansson talks about the miracle of masturbation. While redditor Steve Buscemi impresses young girls with his vinyl record collection. Yeah, it's uh, it's great that this is like 2001 because you know that Steve Buscemi was still around, hanging out like that that character like a decade later on Reddit. You know what I mean? Like, this. Yeah. <laughs> but he, but he probably ran the like cl this classic vinyl 78 Reddit subreddit. You know. <laughs> Speaking of which, follow Movie Extravaganza on Reddit. It's on the the crawl on below. There's like five yeah. people in there, but anyway, one of them is uh Seymour. <laughs> <laughs> I've never yelled no. So loud at a kiss scene before. Cute outfits, though. I felt like I felt like it was earned. I don't know. I mean, I would have yelled no if Steve Buscemi was weird it about it. It just sounds like she's ageist. Yeah. Or Steve right. Buscemi has three stars. Three and only three stars too. Yeah. Fuck you, Elise. In the bin. So you only have two likes on this review. Jesus Christ. One of them's me. <laughs> you should probably kill yourself. It's probably her two friends. People in the 90s were so cool and mean. <laughs> See my entire vibe on this show. Thank you. <laughs> I was born in the right generation, but yeah, maybe a little bit too late. <laughs> like... The 90s were sensational. I, I hands down 
who do we, we never we didn't know at the time it seemed terrible but yeah in retrospect it was no at the time we didn't realize how how rad we were having it we didn't and realize so, yeah. we were twirling 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 towards freedom mm-hmm. <laughs> you either die in enid or you live long enough to see yourself become a seymour <laughs> suddenly seymour <laughs> that is a musical you cannot do without me <laughs> little shop of vinyls <laughs> oh, uh, bless, bless you Louise taking away one star because I don't like to see anything bad happen to Steve Buscemi that's my friend oh. Louise from Letterboxd don't say anything nice anything mean about her either no but it is it is funny no, I did I said I, I said bless yeah. her I love it that's not one of these dicks yeah. no she she needs more friends more I need to go there and like her. Yeah, Louise. But, like, but like, there is that, uh, there is that, like, montage, I guess, on YouTube, like a bunch of them of like every time Steve Buscemi dies in a movie. Oh, really? Um, yeah, that, like, because he dies in like a lot of the movies that he's in. So I, I do like to imagine her watching all, like, all of the Steve Buscemi movies and then going one star off, one star off. One yeah, star it's off. knocking, knocking one star off each one. She like can... four star Fargo. Exactly. <laughs> Dear John, she probably means more mean things. Exactly, I think so. They put him in a wood chipper. That's pretty mean. I don't know. It is pretty mean. You're not wrong about that. <laughs> Dear Josh, we came by to fuck you, but you were not home. Therefore, you are gay. Signed, Tiffany and Amber. <laughs> <laughs> All-timer. All-timer. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, those are the Letterbox one-liners for Ghost World. Please follow Moon Extravaganza on Letterbox. That's your host, Force Miller, over there. Follow me, Conan Nunchuck Guy Neutron uh, at Conan Neutron. I'm all over that biz. Uh, J. Andrew, I, this is all, I'm all verklempt. It's all, everything's all weird. J. Andrew Ghost World down below me <laughs> is uh, watching all the most baffling stuff in the world so you don't have to, or maybe you can later, depending on how we, uh, how he recommends it. I, there, there's a few gems I found. Uh, right about now, too. Right? It's the, it's got yeah. two at the end of it. Why is it there's a two, two, by the way? Yeah. Have I ever asked you? Um, you know, uh, basically, on Twitter, it was already taken. So, you know, <laughs> I don't. It's okay. <laughs> that's all right. That's that's like why someone ends up with like right about now four twenty sixty nine sixty nine or something. Yeah, like, no, no, it was already taken. Really? Did you have to do four twenty sixty nine sixty nine? Okay, thank you. I'm Christina, also on Letterboxd, uh, specializing in all the Johnny Depp catalog and, and everything else. Please <laughs> follow. Yeah. I know her name like that. She's got it. She, she's got her lane, and she owns it, folks. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, the lovely Renee Ruin, who doesn't come on this show nearly enough, uh, is also on Letterbox. Renee Ruin, uh, host of the Night Shift, and many other things that I'm not even going to bother trying to trying to say right now. Andrew, yeah, I I didn't. I was I was too busy rebooting my computer unsuccessfully. Uh, J. Andrew Ghost World, take us away with the plugs, please. All right. First of all, just because uh, we can, uh, I want to say happy birthday to three of our past guests uh, who all share a birthday today: Jason Miles, Amy Bell, and Matthew yeah. Film Guy. Happy birthday! We love happy you. Um, we'll, we'll see you soon. They should all they should all cage fight for that happy birthday. They should all have to like <laughs> fight each other in a cage. Whoever whoever like. Gladiator style, whoever comes out on top gets our full 100% happy birthday. To get our full birthday wishes. That's the <laughs> reward. Full birthday wishes. Man, that now we only get one third. 333333333 percent. Uh, um, yeah, we, we uh, are on YouTube. <laughs> that was a good bit. Does anyone not like decimals? I love decimals. Anyway, go ahead. 
Yes, decimal bits are funny. <laughs> decimal bits are great. I love math. Anyway. Um, yeah, we're on YouTube. Do the YouTube things. Like, follow, subscribe, hit the bell. And the big thing is, is watch the video to the end so other movie lovers can find us. Um, and we, as a bonus, you know, we're not going to be like listing off names. and we, uh, But you get that sweet, sweet Kona Neutron song at the end. So, so go for that. Um, if you are enjoying this, but you, you'd rather, you know, you just don't have time to be sitting down in front of your computer and watching this, uh, live, like, like, uh, some people do. And there's no problem with sitting down at the computer watching it live because that's, uh, that's also fun. But, but, uh, sometimes, you know, you just want to listen to something while you're exercising or washing dishes. We have it as a podcast form, so you can do that as well. Um, wherever you get your podcasts, please find us, like subscribe us, give us a five-star review. Cause that helps other people find us as well. I, I try to explain visual gags for the podcast audience because <laughs> I feel like it's important as someone that would much rather listen to a podcast than watch something on YouTube. Uh, and I do that with my own show as well, but I feel like it's a dying art. People that just make visual gags and it's like hearing a live record where you hear a crowd cheer for no reason. You're like, what the fuck happened? Like, did somebody like do something funny? Like what happened? I, I can't anyway, whatever. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, during that bass solo after he throws the bass guitar up in the air, nobody, you know, the guitarist is they're going, our bassist just threw the bass guitar up in the right, air. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what you have to do in a live record now. It's close yeah. to the hearing impaired. Exactly. Why are you at a show? Get it, hearing impaired? Anyway, whatever. So uh, we have a Patreon. Girls before swine, everybody. Anyway, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> we have a Patreon. With that Patreon, um, uh, that helps us out a lot, but also gives you access to all of our back after parties, um, like back issues. You can flip through it like vinyl. Factor <laughs> parties. Yes. Um, but you can always after party forever. Uh, party forever. Oh, yeah. We're getting there. Yeah, we're getting there. <laughs> yeah, we'll have it unlocked by the time we do episode 200. And uh, make sure, um, you know, while you're uh, doing things, uh, Christina has a Patreon. Check that out. But you, she also has a wonderful Twitch channel where she does. Um, she talks about all the things, so you can get Harley Quinn as well as uh, you know all the Harley Quinn you want. Yeah, and spooky all the news you up. want. Spooky season coming up, so cosplays are coming up. So who also too, guys? If and when we ever review Birds of Prey, because I know Conan loves that movie as much as I do, I will cosplay movie. as Harley Quinn. I really want to again popular amongst the fans and me but but yes like and subscribe i'll uh, watch another her on twitch you'll love it if you like this if you like the suicide squad birds of prey is very much in line with it like it's 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 a little less nihilistic and big as far as like production goes but it's it's the sense of humor is exactly there it's good movie i didn't didn't like uh suicide squad as much as i like my kill yourself squad (laughs) i mean i look at the poster look at her look at her look at her i have it booyah the so she did a good job. I'm 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 not <laughs> wait, 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 wait. show it, Christina. Show it real quick. If we're gonna oh. do this, let's do it right. Yeah. Booyah. All right. There you go. There, there <laughs> she, she, and uh, look out, I got all the fun, I got like seven Harley Quinn Funko Pops. It's ridiculous. We believe you. Yeah. Is that an Amanda Connor drawing? I couldn't quite tell. What? You're taking your own plugs. Okay. Off track, Andy. Yes, yeah. yes, I'm doing that because right now I do need to plug Conan. Good job. Got the <laughs> yes, I'll go over there and slap the paintbrush out of your hand or whatever you're doing with. Oh, yeah. has uh, <laughs> a great show, Photonic Reversal. You might have heard of it, especially if you're watching us live, which it says right behind him. 
Um, <laughs> that's a good visual gag. Yeah. Yes, yes there With we go. podcast listeners, Conan Neutron has his show logo behind him. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, what was the uh, album you were talking about? Because you could get that on Bandcamp and order the one of the last uh, six copies. Uh, the Art of Murder. It's The, the Art second, of Murder. Yeah, yes. the second Conan Neutron. Man, everyone's record. getting into like killing a murder tonight. I love it. <laughs> it's a concept record about Hannibal Lecter, what I'm going to tell you. Which we've yeah. never done any Hannibal Lecter movie. So. Yeah, no, we haven't. We should. Anything yeah, dead, dying, being killed, Silent those, Silent anything Silent related Silent to that. Serial <laughs> killers, you know, whatever. I yeah, want, we do I have. Want, we do have. I uh, want Silence of the Jams with Adam Sandler. <laughs> Adam Sandler playing. Uh, you know, Adam Adam the Jams. <laughs> of the Jams. Not bad. That's good. All right, solid. But uh, I was going to actually ask Conan, who did you have on this week? Uh, Chat Pile. So the incredible band from Oklahoma, the Doomy Sludgy Noise Rock Band. They're, uh, people are talking about them more and more. And uh, actually, this one, Stevie in the chat was on for that one. It was, uh, it was a really good show. And uh, they're a really good band. And again, I don't just have legacy artists on or people there too esoteric. But uh, yeah, I rarely have a whole band on because it can get really chaotic. But we went through the God's Country. Yeah, Manhunter is the best one, I think. Well, silence that Manhunter. Uh, but the uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's. I don't normally have full bands on, but it, it worked really well. It was good. I think fantastic. So. And, and you can also subscribe to his Patreon. Uh, and with that, you get episodes early. So uh, that's exciting. Right. While I was doing that, this is this is like my life. I was also changing my name to uh, Silence of the Jams. So apparently, <laughs> <laughs> that's too many characters. Let me see. Okay, and uh, Renee, you have uh, you have a movie podcast uh, now, don't you? It's, yeah, uh, yeah. So, the night shift, um, right? The night shift, yeah. Which is um, basically going to be. It's we've kind of decided to keep it. We're kind of building a coven of sorts. So it's myself and Bonnie Burton and Jenna Hayes, who's um, a very well known ex um, uh, porn actress who is just, uh, her insights are just incredible. Um, so at the moment, yeah, we've just done the two films. So we did X and Men. Um, and then we have quite a long list of films as well. So it's a it's a bit of a fun um, thing, but definitely um, kind of a very much a female version of things. So we've, we have actually a lot more men who seem to watch it and enjoy hearing our different views from th- from different women so um yeah it's going really well i want so. to see more in that audience of course bonnie burden yes. we love bonnie as well yes so. and and Je- jenna brings a lot of uh, possible seymours with her um we should probably get her always, on the show at some there's, point there's, there's always some interesting uh Possible uh, see more. <laughs> um Maybe but yeah that's going really well and um, <laughs> Yeah, so that's going good. Um, yeah, my my book's been out for a little while now, and um, so that's that's I've gone through. Um, forward by Mark Lanigan, R.I.P. Yes, forward by Mike Lanigan, and so that's um, I've got that in some bookshop here in Melbourne, and it's also shipping around the world at the moment. So yeah, I've already done two giant print runs. So hopefully that keeps on kicking. Fantastic. Fantastic. I also just realized I forgot to ask about Conan's uh, tour dates that are coming up. Yeah, you sure did. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Just remember that, huh? Uh, yeah. So the 72-point headline is that we're playing a few shows in McCluskey on the West Coast. We're doing Oakland, Portland, and Seattle. But then we also have, I think, like nine other dates for that also West Coast. I have some East Coast dates coming up in early October as well. But <clears throat> the important thing with the McCluskey dates is tickets are going fast. So if you like McCluskey and or want to attempt to heckle me, notice my emphasis on attempt. Uh, and see my band play, Code Neutron and the Secret Friends, then you should definitely buy tickets immediately because they, they're going fast. And it's the, it's McCluskey's. It's the, it's the Do Dallas 20-year uh, anniversary uh, for, for this tour. It's the first time that they played the U.S. since, uh, you know, the, the initial time they were around. So, yeah, don't don't think you can just saunter up and, and get tickets because you're not going to be able to. Also, for Chicago listeners, a Chicago show, Next Friday, that I may or may not see Kenzo and Ravana at. I believe when to see it, and we're going to be in Louisville again uh, on Jan- January, uh, September first. <laughs> what the fuck am I thinking about? Uh, yeah, and so you can find all that stuff, you know, where you normally find that stuff. Uh, and I love vinyl from this <laughs> nomenclature. New How long are you um, on tour for, Conan? Like two weeks. Which the, they're doing a bunch of Akaka musicals while I'm gone, I guess. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to rock you horror. Good. Oh, God. It's the after party forever. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is it, is it the same musicals? No. I think it's just they're trying to figure out stuff I don't like. And I'm like, yeah, I don't like almost any musical except for Singing in the Rain. And uh, oh, I guess. Rocky Horror? I like Rocky Horror. Yeah, I like I like Rocky Horror, but it's not something that I watch regularly. That's um, Renee. Renee speaks for me. Uh, yeah, it's, really Todd, I, I'm I like, mean, care about that. it's fine. Whatever. I can watch Footloose like five thousand times with Kevin Bacon, but yeah. I actually don't like people singing at me. It's I find it quite off-putting. Yet you like shows. How interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love I love live music, but I hate movies singing at me. Yeah, I don't know why. I, I didn't make up this rule of they do musicals while I'm gone, but they definitely do musicals while I'm gone. So yeah, we've done, we've done one you, musical while you were gone. I haven't checked the chat. I, I was sleeping earlier. Uh, yeah, but you <laughs> Little Shop of Horrors without me, either one, because I love that movie. So there you go. So there's two. Yeah, ideas. Little Shop of Horrors is a cool one. Yeah, we'll do that one when you're not available, Cody. <laughs> He's Steve Buscemi. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, yeah. So come see, come see my band McCluskey. Thank you. Yes, and I believe those are the plugs. Um, unless anybody else says a plug, I forgot. Final thoughts. Time going once, right? going twice. Final thoughts coming right up. Morris, <laughs> right. over to you. Well, starting with Renee, let's hear some final thoughts. Okay. Um, yes, thank you. Yeah, as I, I, I said, um, I think this is this film is an incredibly well done articulated film that's come from, you know, from a graphic novel that's basically vignettes that don't really have a clear tie in. And I think that um, both um, the director and Daniel Klaus did an amazing job of turning it into a film, even if it did take quite a long time to do so. Um, But, and I I think that, you know, and everything about it, I think they did really well and very tactful, especially the things involving Seymour. Um, The casting, I can't, you can't argue with it. The aesthetics are like totally drool worthy. Like, and Enid, I just fell in love with 
everything to do with her her culture and the art stuff, everything she loves, just everything that encompassed her personality I really enjoyed. And then I also enjoyed the way they tackled, you know, um, that kind of those awkward and tough times um, when you're growing up and how, you know, um, you know, the, the complications that seem minute probably to adults but are quite dramatic when you are that age, um, you know, and then that whole um, transformation that happens when you do finish high school and you need to think about what you want to do and you're torn between those things, you know, you kind of forget the feeling that Enid wants to continue where she is at, you know, and whereas... Um, Scarjo, sorry for keep forgetting her name. Um, really yeah, wants to move on. Was she in anything else, or was this the only movie she was in? She was another. I just, I just, she's always Scar, Scarjo to me. But like, you know, she, she's going off in a different direction, and she wants to be, you know, sort of this mainstream grown up, and doesn't is ready to let go of, you know, all of the weirdness and all of the fun and stuff that kind of there. And I think we've all been there. Um, you know, where we sort of had to deal with that coming of age growing up and trying to take the direction in where you want to go. Um, yeah, and there's just so many small parts in this movie that probably to some people seemed irrelevant, but I think were really beautiful and key, like the, the old man sitting on the bus stop. Oh, yeah, how do we even um, not talk about that? You're right, yeah. Apparently it was played by uh, Crispin Glover's father, which is interesting. What? Yeah. Yeah. And and you know the, the fact that he he'd sort of almost given up himself and he's sitting there waiting 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 for something to come and happen to him and then you know they kind of make fun of him for waiting for that bus and then one day that she sees the bus does come and you know of course then that brings you to the ending of the film where um, you know she speaks to Seymour and you know in the hospital and you know says you you know you're an idiot like you know, you're my hero, like, look at all this other stuff I was doing. And and then you get that real sense of closure when both um, the girls sit down at the front of the hospital and, you know, they hold hands and she's like, you know, give me a call. And you get the impression that they're never going to speak again. That's it. Like, yeah. it's the end. And then, um, you know, um, Enid then, you know, goes off and decides pack her bag and, go wait at the bus stop and take the bus and you just sort of have no clue like where she's headed or what what what's happening for her. And then, you know, then you also have that scene um, with Seymour where he's in therapy and he's obviously now living with his mother, um, which I know a lot of people have speculated that that he tried to commit suicide and that was mm. what had happened past, past that. And then, you know, he goes to live with his mother and, he talks about getting his life back. So um, it's a kind of bittersweet, but also there's a bit of sadness and in the ending. And I think that's kind of important because that is real life and that is what happens in real life. So they didn't give us like a fluffy wrapped up with a bow ending and, you know, it's kind of left to you to kind of think about what you think, you know, Enid's except, next, uh, next except century. Except showing up with that bus. Waiting for What's that? I said, except Cadell finally showing up with that bus. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so you kind of, you know, 
there's a play called Waiting for Godot, and it's he's and the movie there. Waiting for Guffman, which is like a comedic Christopher Guest. Yeah, so he's, so he's sitting on the bench the entire movie, and the, the like the person never comes, and they're waiting. For, yeah, I feel like that's what they were kind of playing off of. Yeah, and it's almost <laughs> like you're waiting. I feel like like especially with the old man, it's like waiting for your life to happen. Um, yeah, or he's and, waiting for death, and you know. Enid killed herself at the end of the movie, and that's why she drives. Well, off that, that's house. one big theory. And Daniel, wait for fucking turn. No, but no, but what what he said. <laughs> but is that's correct, why roommates for this movie. <laughs> that was that was one theory, and Daniel Klaus and um, also um, yeah. Zigoff did come out and both say that is absolutely not true, and that there was no that she did not kill herself, and that was not the intention. So, um, but that, that is a been, theory. That would have been an ending a lot like uh, Go Ask Alice or whatever, where at the end of it, they just read a note and they're like, She killed herself at the end of this. Yeah, and, uh, that'd, be, that'd be like if Todd Solons did this movie, and that's the hell it's like, Oh my god, oh, 100%. Yeah, and Todd Solons has his own. I love Todd Solons' films, and he has a way, he has a way of doing that and getting away with it, but um. Dark. Yeah, that was they Dark. dispelled that myth, but um, so I think you know, there is a sadness, but it's also that kind of there's it's the ending of something, and who knows what that next journey is going to be. So it kind of leaves you having to think about it, and maybe even you yourself then making you think about what you're doing and where you're going in your life. Um, I think about know, that so as a show a lot. Thank you. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> just being a dick. Just being a dick. That's okay. <laughs> Doing that nineties. No. Um. Yeah. But and and so yeah. Aside from that, yeah. I just I think it's a really good movie that is very um, often underrated or overlooked because it's like put in that comic book genre and um, it, you know and but there's actually so much um in the movie. Um, and commentary on so many different things I think is really important. And it's just, it's a great movie for all of the weirdos and outcasts out there, you know. And for all the angsty uh, angsty teenagers out there. It is, it is probably, like, the best depiction of just pure angst, like, without any plan, without any uh, plot. I mean, not that it doesn't have a plot, but just, like, without any, like, you know, distinct, like, this is what's happening. Like, this is what's happening kind of plot. Like it is the best depiction I think of like just teenage angst for the sake of teenage angst. Yeah. Like, like me and my two housemates rewatched it together last night and we were all just saying the same thing. Like, fuck, do you remember when we used to do that? <laughs> like, and, you know, ringing people up on the phone, like, and being like, yeah. like, you know, like, yeah. and, and all like a little obnoxious things and just so angsty about everything. I had, uh, I had two friends. And you'd follow the weirdos and stuff around and go, look at that guy. And, you know, look at this. And, like, I things like that. I had two friends when I was, like, 18. And I, and I still was friends with them for, like, a few years after that. But, like, uh, I feel like I was their Josh. Like, they would, like, pick me up. Um, like, because I don't, I don't drive. But you they think would my red flag? In their, in their car. No. Oh, so they would pick me up in their car. And then they would be like, let's prank me. call someone. And they'd find somebody to just prank call. And they would have like they would just say something nonsensical and try to get the person to go along with it for as long as possible. Like they would do all of that shit, and I would be like, I don't really want to do this. I feel like a little bit uncomfortable. I feel like this is mean. And like I was taken along for so many of these weird adventures to like just random fucking places by these two girls that I, I feel like this this movie like hit hard for me because of <laughs> that friendship. Flashbacks, man. I actually uh, saw one of them at the gas station on Friday, which is kind of funny. It happened in years. <laughs> But um, was she practicing nunchucks or no? 
No, she wasn't. <laughs> she was like, hey, let's go on an adventure. And I was like, I know well enough now not to say yes. To that. <laughs> yeah, that Your adventures, uh, no adventures I want to join. <laughs> <laughs> that those those adventures have like prison sentences when you're adult. I, I think it was I think it was the same day or a day after I watched Ghost World though that I saw her at Mobile, and she was like, "Hey, I'm going back to like Pennsylvania or something. Let's hang out and go on an adventure." And I was like, "No, I watched this movie. I know that <laughs> no, no, not to do that. <laughs> I ain't going um, in the middle of nowhere for an adventure. <laughs> an adventure? Oh, what? What are you in this economy?" <laughs> I like having you up here, Christina. I think I think you should be up here now. Oh, demotion for Andy. You said mm-hmm. the bus equals death, and they said no. So Andy got demoted. Uh, Christina, let me hear some final thoughts. Well, I absolutely loved this movie. I loved everything about from directing, uh, the adaptation, uh, casting was phenomenal, acting was great, um, the narrative really enjoyed really could relate to these characters for sure because we were all young ones and some of us were in it's growing up and i feel like we all in a way had our own seymour in our lives so yeah i highly recommend this film this is definitely one of the good like coming of age films that as renee pointed out very underrated and overlooked so i hope more by Especially, you know, us talking about it, more people would be interested in it. Mm. Yeah, I hadn't really heard much about this film until watching it for this. So, like, I, I definitely enjoyed it, but, like, I agree on that part. Um, Andy, does the does the bus equal death? Let's. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a thread we can refer to this on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's not a hill I'm going to die on. I, I know the, the one thing about this movie. Um, it always takes me back to a relationship I had because I did eat it. Um, I was in my early twenties. She, she was just out of high school. Um, and, uh, the relationship didn't uh, really end well. It, it was, uh, sad. We could have been friends. I screwed that up. That's all on me. But, uh, th- this movie always brings back memories of that. Um, uh, that relationship, the good times and the bad. Um, but, but, uh, you know, it's just like one of those movies that does, you know, it's like a, a moment in time. Um, you know, it, it's it's a and uh, I don't know if uh, I don't know if I could show this to my kids and they'll, they'll get the same thing out of it that I do. Because, um, you know, uh, well, they're a little young, but uh, <laughs> uh, but 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 no, it is a truly a beautiful movie. Um, and it's, it's fascinating that that two men could create such a. Uh, you know, a wonderful movie about women. Um, yeah. And it's, it's nice to see because uh, dudes rock, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, you know, especially like, like after watching um, uh, Lady Bird and um, uh, not super bad. What the fuck brain? Book smart. Uh, book yeah. smart. Yeah. Um, uh, Lady Bird and book smart. Oh, yeah. This is, the, this is the first, Male directed movie of uh, coming of age month, huh? And I think I think it kind of holds up amongst them, I, because you know they really did kind of capture these two characters. I do think if a woman was, uh, you know, behind the camera, um, it might have been a, a bit of a different film. Um, but I think it still yeah, would have uh, touched on uh, the same themes that the uh, that the comic did. Uh, you know, just two friends drifting apart, um, and that's really all it, it is. It's just you know 
scenes of a friendship collapsing. Um, I mean, it, I, I also would say that probably the, the two actresses put a lot of themselves into the role. And I know that like watching and if like doing the after party or whatever, like we'll probably watch more clips of them talking about the filming process. But like it is uh, it's not like the director was overbearing in the sense of like, oh, let me force you guys to. Um, follow this narrative exactly like they did bring a lot of themselves i think into the oh yeah yeah and, and i'm not you know i i think you can see that in the end result because it isn't a uh uh you know it, it seems very naturalistic and and um i'm sure there was uh so, some interesting things that you know the cast brought to these characters um beyond just the fact that they were so well cast you know reading what's on the page mm, definitely I just wanted to make a side note, sorry, because <laughs> we didn't talk about it. But how funny was that scene, juvenile? But when Seymour's housemate is talking to Seymour and asks, says like, you know, this is a, you know, the den of fun, and then does a giant fart. It just came to it. It just came to my There was a letterbox review that I re rejected for the letterbox one-liners that said most momentous fart in film history, and I thought it was too esoteric to put in. But the yeah. other one we didn't, the other one we didn't touch on is when uh, he's talking to David Cross, and David Cross is like, yeah. "This is how you get girls. You if you don't, if you don't even, you know, and and like knowing that they're two like seventeen-year-old girls having like creepy ass David Cross, like obviously not in real, but like in the movie, like wander over and start like biasing all over the fucking couch." Well, yeah. Amber, Amber Tamblyn is uh, significantly younger than him, and there was a letterbox review yes. about that. But it was too mean spirited and not funny enough. It was too mean. Was yeah, like, yeah. Was, yeah like, one step threw, funnier, cool. But like that's not threw him right under the bus for the cancer culture stuff. By the way, I would have mm. divorced. Yes, very, very <laughs> juvenile. But that that made me both me and my housemate oh, erupted in laughter. Yeah, because it was just it was so golden. Because it also summed up Seymour's personality because he is quite wind you know, he's wound tight yeah and even in that moment like the guy just lets that giant one rip and he can't even bring himself to even grin yeah he's just just, so... just disgusted yeah <laughs> so funny but uh conan let's hear it final thoughts yeah yeah this is i think this slots nicely in the coming of age films Enid and rebecca both especially Enid portray a great resting state of discontent that I certainly identify with. I think in high school, I was probably about half Ian and half Rebecca uh, myself. And I had a best friend that was definitely took a little bit of a darker path. I think that there's a humanistic misanthropy to this movie that I like quite a bit and personally identify with. Uh, and I Absolutely, 100% had a huge crush on Thor Birch when this came out, which I only was a few years older than her, so it's not that bad. It's not Steve Shemmy bad. And <laughs> the, it's very calculated in how lost some of the characters uh, in this are. Most of the characters are. And the, the ones that aren't are sort of played for laughs, that they're like something to be pitied, even though they have a path. It's not something that is considered cool or, or interesting and the just the snap judgment and just meanness of it, uh, which comes out of a place of searching. And it's a real tale of friendship between, you know, two adolescents that are, that are becoming women and that are going to 
work go into their lives and you don't know how it's going to turn out for either one of them but you know you certainly get indicators that goes on and it's hard not to want to take uh enid aside and be like look i get it i'm there with you but dial it back like two clicks here like here don't do it like it's fine rest of your life fine you can you can do that but this is going to kind of make decisions for you that you don't know that it's going to. And that's what makes it a great coming of age movie. This movie's great. Well, yeah. and, and that's angst, right? That, that's pure angst. Like I, and, Absolutely. And I, I think that like that, like just kind of almost self-loathing, self-sabotage, like I hate everybody. I don't want to grow up. I don't want to be part of the system. Like I'm going to, you know, dye my hair green out of nowhere when I'm supposed to go. Like that is blue for me, but yeah, I did the same thing. <laughs> that, uh, that <laughs> feeling. And then you put pronouns. And, when, and it was when people it, weren't dying their hair colors like that. That was incredibly rebellious. Well, that's yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, and then, but then you have, have like, her friends, it. her friends, right? Like, uh, Rebecca and the, the anti Semitic guy at the, uh, at the record store that she. So anti Semitic. He's really on about the Jews all the time, too. He's always making. Apparently, the also, he's like, he might be just liberal. He's on about the Aryans, too. When he, when he, but, uh, like, modern to models. have, but like, they're both like, He's like, I don't get what you were going for. And she's like, you know what? Everybody fucking sucks. I hate them. And then fucking her other friend's like, well, I don't get what you were going for with this either. And she's like, people are stupid. And it's like, no, that's like, that's that's the pure distillation. Like if you took uh, angst and distilled it down to like a, a, the purest formula, the Walter White um, blue sky angst, right? Like it would be just that feeling where you're like, everybody's stupid. Nobody gets me. This fucking sucks. I don't want to grow up. I, I want to go do the things that I want to do. Fuck all this. And that this movie hit that note. That Her character hits that note perfectly. And just yeah. whenever she's put into a situation where she needs to grow up a little bit, she's lost in the wilderness. And her response is just more of that. And that is on point uh, for that for that age. Yeah, I mean, well, well, like I said, it's it's like a resting state of discontent that is very appropriate for, for the age group. And it's, it's portrayed in such a way that it usually goes almost cartoonishly uh, the other way, or it's too underplayed really. But there is a humanism to it because again, you know, Enid fixates on Seymour and then that ends up, you know, being what it is, but she's not a full on misanthrope. And it's something that it, it tells you what you need to know about the character, like how she finds deep connection to the blues song, right? Like just, and finds deep meaning to it in a way that she doesn't find with a lot of things in contemporary culture that she's surrounded with. And, Look, there's a certain amount of just being lost when you're that age and and like putting up a brave front about it and like preening and like, you know, shouting about it, but being lost. And this movie does a great job of showing that, including the fact that maybe the only person that even kind of sort of a little bit understands you turning your guns on them because that's what you do when you're young and you're an idiot. Yeah. And, you know, watching this back to back with Lady Bird, of course, I think. The, the same kind of feeling motivating her is what causes Lady Bird in the first scene of the movie to jump out of the moving car with her mom. Like <laughs> Totally. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> I, and this, I mean, look, this is an incredibly clever film. It's a smart movie for smart people. Uh, I have dated both Anita, Enid and Rebecca in my times. Uh, and, you know, I've at the same time, people. not at the same time. This isn't a Betty and Veronica situation. No, <laughs> uh, but I, I just really love this movie and I love all of the many things it does, including bringing Blues Hammer to the world, which again is cultural shorthand for a certain type of shitty band that you see when you play shows. <laughs> um, but this is this is 
one of the more underrated coming of age movies. And I think it has something to do with when it came out more than anything else, but there's a lot of it that is just interesting social satire too. And it's, that's Daniel Klaus, man. He's an interesting writer. And again, like you don't have to be GM to world to understand that. <laughs> like it's the, the source material is great, but this is also a great movie. And both those things can be true at the same time. And, and of course we are going, uh, you know, back to back with, an underrated coming of age movie and then breakfast club. So that should be an interesting dichotomy. Um, what I will say for my final little piece is uh, it's like the Taj Mahal of fake fifties diners. <laughs>